1: Well, now normally I'd have a few things to say and just kind of carry on for a bit, but since Pianchi is right on the line, before I even started the show, let's see what's going on here. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Welcome to Friday.
2: Good morning, Greg. It's always a pleasure to hear your refreshing, exciting, <laughs> enthusiastic voice.
1: Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I, yeah, it's actually, it's kind of interesting you're here because normally you let me sort of rant for a while, um, but uh, it's, it's good to see you here. Um, also, I should give a little rain alert. So, so trying to pick the right uh, UPS thing to keep my, my computer and battery going in the event of a power failure, which apparently happens here quite a bit. Uh, at least in my neighborhood. So if we cut out any time, I'll just restart the episode uh, in a little bit. But um, you post a couple things, and I, I wanted to start with this anyway. So the title of the show, Brandon's Non-Cognition Test, and then we have a theater person. We're going to have Gail Ready on in our last hour, and it's going to be at 9 o'clock. But in the meantime, let's talk about the non-test. Let's talk about the test that didn't happen. Let's talk about the idea that you can't find something unless you actually look for it. <laughs> you know, so so uh, you posted story on this, didn't you?
2: That is funny. <laughs> you can't find something to actually look for. You're exactly,
0: exactly right.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. I have my moments. But uh, yeah,
1: I mean, if you don't do the test. But, well, no, no problem. There's no problem with cognition. Well, how do you know? Well, we didn't, you know, you didn't test for it. Exactly. See? No problem. <laughs> that's, that's White House speak for everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Shut the hell up. Go away. <laughs>
2: Well, the man has got problems. But Uh you know the thing, you know, I like to bring out and expose to people so they can look at the hypocrisy in their Uh left and right hand, And that's what gets me so bad. Uh Joe Biden went to, and I don't know if you were going to talk about this or not, but General Flynn made a statement, Uh a report that Joe Biden, while he was vice president, Went to the Ukraine twelve or thirteen times, and Donald Trump only had a legal conversation with the Ukraine one time, and was impeached. And Obama had to know that this was going on. That's what I'm saying. It's 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 a one-sided bias, and I call it. I mean, you can call it anything. You can call it if it was something. You can call it systemic racism. The way Biden is allowed to get away with things. And Donald Trump, for a fraction of, was impeached.
1: Now, I wouldn't call it racism. And I, I think that term is so overused, it's it pretty much lost all meaning in this country. Uh, but what I would call it is statism. And so the deep, or, or deep statism. you could call it that. So the state is controlling everything. So Biden represents the state. Uh, he was put there by the state. You know, th- this is an idiocracy. In other words, the qualifications for being. You know, in in the Brandon insurrection, illegal government coup is that you have to be, you know, either as intelligent or less intelligent, preferably than Brandon himself. And you look at Pete Buttigieg, who's only where he is, you know, because he married a dude. Uh, You look at, uh, and I said this before, uh, you know, Judge Jackson is where she is because she's a black woman. Uh, Who else is uh, who's on the affirmative action bandwagon uh, in this administration? You look at most of the people that are there. They're not there because they're qualified, because obviously they're not. I don't know what Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, what her qualification is, but she has no idea what she's doing either. None of these people do. It's like children. You know, it's like we have an administration of two year olds uh, and the people behind the scenes, the dangerous ones, you know, the Obama, Susan Rice, Hillary Clinton, uh, some of the other folks back there, uh, Bill Gates, Soros, you know, the, the whole crew. That's the real government. So we're, you know, we could call this the first shadow government, the first, you know, behind the scenes government. But that's what the problem is. And they represent the the Marxist globalist deep state. And so that's why you don't see things happening. But the biggest problem is, is like you say, you know, there's no opposition. You know, Claire Lopez, when she was on this show, she used to talk about the controlled opposition. You know, I call them the, the, the gelding old party, but the problem we have, I mean, I expect the Democrats to act like Marxists. You know, they're going to do that. The real problem, the real problem is the people that we expect to solve it aren't. So the real evil, the real hypocrites, the real problem, well, I guess the, the biggest issue that I see is the fact that we are expecting Republicans to actually act like Republicans and they're nothing of the kind. They are just as much deep state. They're deep state by being silent. They're deep state by, by tolerating. the deep state by allowing this to happen when they're expected to do something else and they maintain the expectation that they will do something else. And I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, a friend of mine, in fact, all you folks are so great posting stuff. I really appreciate it. Um, but it was posted, I think Diane posted this, that uh, there's a bill to get rid of the Department of Education. Well, that's just stupid because they did it the wrong time. The only time a bill like that would pass would be when the, the Congress was Republican, you know, Trump's first two years, and Trump was president. But they didn't file it then. You know, it's like filing a Obamacare to get rid of Obamacare when there's no chance of getting rid of Obamacare. They're hypocrites, they're in many ways more evil than the Democrats themselves, because they're just doing what we expect. We, everybody knows they're Marxists. Everybody knows they're globalists. Everybody knows they want to destroy this country and replace it with a dictatorship. That's obvious. What's not as obvious is that people are, are rallying behind Republicans. You know, you've got to register a Republican. You've got to be a Republican. You know, they got to stand up to those Democrats. No, they don't. They're lying. And it's that, and it's that, that perception or that, the lack of perception that the Republicans are lying pretty much every day is what really bothers me even more than the Marxists. What do you think?
2: Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, making mention back on General Flynn's statement about uh-huh. Joe Biden's trip to Ukraine, first uh-huh. thing came to my mind was one of your reporters, and that's Josie. She has yeah. been talking about making mention about the military for quite some time. And it looked like there's going to be something stirring in there or should be something stirring in there. If they notice something that's going on that's highly unusual, then they need to say something. I think they're the ultimate authority in this country when it comes down to it, but uh, that needs to be reported. And ask, Joe Biden, where are you going to the Ukraine 12 or 13 times as a vice president, and your boss don't know anything about it, or does he?
1: Oh, please. There's nothing that, that Brandon did that Obama doesn't know about. And that includes when he was VP and now when he's illegally in the White House. The, uh, you know, Obama is running so much more than people uh, think about. Uh, Dick, Dick uh, Morris even said as much. He said This is an Obama administration. This is his third term. He's, doing, he's pulling all the strings. Why do you think he lives close to the White House? You know, so he can drop in, so Brandon can get instructions. Why do you think Xi Jinping talks to Brandon to give him instructions? You know, he doesn't do anything on his own. And everything is scripted because obviously he's not there. The only, you know, and it makes perfect sense. If you want to have a controlled president, you have to have somebody that can't think for themselves. Because if they can think for themselves, they might do things different than you want them to. So the only way to ensure that, that the person who they put in the White House illegally was going to do exactly what Obama wanted was to find someone that had no idea of their own thoughts. That's why he's there. That's why they protect him so much. He's the mouthpiece. He's the plausible deniability. He's the one who actually believes his own lies. So when he gets up there and says that the economy is wonderful and we've got lots of energy and he's lowered the prices and that uh, you know, everything's fine, don't worry about it, and we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And those horrible Republicans that caused that horrible economic situation like $1. eighty-five gas, <laughs> you know, you know, prosperity everywhere, jobs all, you know, galore, that was, that was all we myth. You know, we're, I'm the one who saved everybody. He actually believes it. Now, it's patently false. Everybody knows it's false, but he actually believes it. And the idiots that believe him, believe it. And that's the whole point. He's so stupid, he doesn't even know or recognize the lies that he's telling. See, really, it's really hard for people to, to lie completely. It's hard to find a really good liar, unless you're a total sociopath like Hillary Clinton. You know, she can lie. I've watched her do it. She has no problem lying. She can lie, you know, like, like, uh, like most people breathe. <laughs> you know, it comes as naturally to her as breathing. You know, you don't, she doesn't even think about it. She just lies. And it's okay. Obama? I don't know. I think he, he's worked at it. He's, he's practiced the art. It doesn't come naturally to him. He's good at it, and he does it perfectly well, but, it's, but he has to think about it. He has to consciously lie, and I think that's why he had the side-to-side teleprompter, so he wouldn't have to make eye contact when he's lying. Hillary Clinton should look right into the camera and just lie to your face and, and think it's virtue. <laughs> so that's sociopath. That's the difference.
2: What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, it's a lot to talk about. Your buddy, uh, Fetterman had to check into the hospital because of uh, nervousness. You got the Governor of Ohio is making reference that uh, Joe Biden's administration won't help them with the recent no, white people. in Palestine. now there's
1: racism you want to talk racism no i haven't i think there's an article that you have floating around somewhere i haven't a chance to read it. i got you know again crazy stuff happens uh, with action radio all the time uh, we got some behind the scenes stuff that's really wonderful we got two amazing guests next week we got jeff childers uh who's a lawyer who's been involved in medical freedom rallies here and does the coffee and covid uh substack article he's coming on uh, and i can announce this too dr robert Malone is gonna be on next friday so we, this, this is what I do. <laughs> this is all this behind the scenes stuff. The so thing, the inventor of the, the, of the messenger, oh, aren't,
2: what's that? The, the thing about denying assistance mm-hmm. to a U.S. city mm-hmm. because they did not technically vote—they voted for Donald Trump. Well, mm-hmm. let me ask you a question: Who did mm-hmm. the Ukraine vote for?
1: Hmm. Well, let me ask you a better, bigger question: How come the Republicans aren't screaming racism? The geldings. You know, you want to talk racism? There's racism, you know, not helping a town because it's a bunch of white people. And we know that's what's going on. Um, I don't know if it's productive to say it, but we know it. (laughs) It's kind of a weird thing. I feel I I have I'm a sort of of two minds on this particular situation. I don't think he's helping because I don't think it helps his agenda. You know, I don't I don't you know, people focus on the fact I would use it, though. Now, here's the thing. I would use the fact that this is a a town of, of almost exclusively white people who voted for Trump and it's a conservative area. I would use that against Brandon. Absolutely. But I don't think that's necessarily what's going on. I don't think they consciously said this is white people. You know, we don't care or these are Trump voters. We don't care. I think what they're really trying to say is this is an environmental disaster that we don't want to be held responsible for. That's what I think is really going on. They're just hoping it'll go away. But it's not going to go away because these people are going to get sicker. More animals are going to die. They're going to want it to get out of there, and they can't because their houses are worthless now. They're, everything they put into their homes, their equity is gone. They can't leave financially. So they're going to be bailing out, you know, and it's going to cost a lot of money. But what the real problem for, for Brandon and Obama and all the, the Democrats is that their environmental policy sucks. You know, they, they talk about, you know, climate change and global warming and, uh, you know, all these new renewable energies and things. And then they have a completely unsafe rail system that they've not regulated properly because, you know, Buttigieg married a dude. You know, <laughs> this is this is what's going on. So they have to, you know, we're, we're the environmentalists. What's missing from the from the report so far is the report of the environmentalists. We don't know what they're saying. Are they saying, well, we can't make too much noise on this because, you know, Brandon's with us. Or they're saying, look, the administration is allowing, or, or the government's allowing dangerous trains to run through the neighborhoods. They could run through their neighborhood. I mean, a lot of people live near train tracks. Within, I mean, what percentage of the population lives within 10 miles of a, of a train track? I would say most of it. That's the whole purpose of trains.
2: But you know there was another derailment somewhere, too. Oh, there's
1: a bunch of them. But you notice the pattern. Look at the patterns. And it, it seems to me very interesting. You know, before, uh, before trains, we had electric power plants who were being terrorized. And you had a theory, I think that, uh, that this is terrorist based. I I'm not sure yet. I, I'm always a, is, is it terrorist or incompetence or both? So we've got the power plants, we've got the, the grids, the substations, we've got the food processing plants. We've got the supply lines. We've got the selling of our strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, we've got, uh, what else is happening? that's, uh, uh, we've got inflation. We've got the reckless spending of money, but there's a series of things that happened ever since Brandon took office. Um, or, or I mean, literally took office. <laughs> he took the office. So the pipeline was canceled. The border was opened up. Uh, and then, we had, then the food processing plants started to get destroyed. The chicken farms are being destroyed. Uh, it's very systematic. You know, and the power plants are now the latest. Uh, and, of course, there are terrorist activities. A bunch of criminals are being released. So crime is, is off the scale. Uh, and now the latest thing, uh, are these train derailments. And they always seem to come in a series. It's almost yeah. like they're planned. You know? And then, of course, they had the balloon to cover it up. Go ahead. What do you think of this, yeah, this
2: derailment? Yeah, uh, this derailment was this was near Detroit, mm-hmm. another area that was brought out by a thousand mules, and you got another thing that's, that's occurring too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: A custom and border protection is discovering insects that's coming across the border. I guess they're staging a biological attack on U.S. agriculture by introducing these pests that's going to wreak havoc on our food system.
1: Well, yeah, but I don't think they're doing that consciously. I think these are, these are pests that you're going to find in the country. Now, I worked in Customs and Border Protection for almost two years and, until they bored me to death. <laughs> they didn't even let me do anything, so I left. Um, but uh, the way the customs used to work, back when I was in the Trade Department, uh, you had Customs was part of Treasury, you had the Department of Agriculture had their own screeners, their own agents uh, and inspectors, and you had uh, the Immigration which is part of the Department of Justice, the Immigration Department. So there used to be three government agencies, and it was better when they did this. You had three separate agencies. You had three different systems, three three different checks that you went through. So when you you came in the United States or you left, now usually when you you entered the United States at the airport or the seaport, wherever you came in, you'd be stopped and you'd be inspected. Uh, A customs person would check what you brought in. Uh, An agriculture would check if you brought in any pests, any insects, any bugs, uh, any soil, anything that would cause the agricultural industry and our food production a problem. And immigration checked if you actually were who you said you were. You know, were you allowed to be in the United States? So customs checked your stuff. Agriculture checked your, your damage to to our food supply. And immigration checked your identity. And that's how it used to work. And that was a pretty good system. Then they merged it into Customs and Border Protection just as I was entering this. So this was a couple of years after 9-11. Uh, they changed, uh, George Bush changed it all over, put them all under this one department of you know, the Ministry of Internal Security, um, in which under justice has become really a persecution of American citizens. But they don't do what they used to do. So it makes sense that all these folks crossing the border, it's not that they're, they're purposely bringing in bugs, but they're just not being checked because they're just being waved through. It's a processing center. It, it, it basically, it's an open gate. So, because they're not checking for bugs, we're getting bugs brought in. They're going to show up somewhere, you know. So, you know, check uh, Honduras and Guatemala and Mexico and see what kind of pests they have and what makes their agriculture miserable. And because they're probably going to be here, but some of the worst bugs are from Asia. Uh, Japanese beetles come to mind. Uh, some of the other things. Uh, what else? I think what was the what's the moth that eats the oak trees? Yeah,
2: beetles, Harkin beetles, and that would run havoc on your poultry industry, mm-hmm. but. The thing is, is that you got people crossing the Rio Grande coming into the United States unfettered, and you mm-hmm. don't know what the heck they have. Yeah, they so can you have, have a bug on their back. You don't know. Yeah. What are they the bugs have a whole bunch of bugs. Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and the, the question is, we don't know who's, who's doing some of this stuff. Uh, the train, you know, I mean, uh, this is the big question we have to investigate. I'm not sure how to do it. But you've got 5 million people that can't be here. Where are they going to go? you know, there's going to be some objections to them somewhere. I mean, they, they, you know, the people are going to find out who the illegals are and maybe do something about it in their community. I don't know. But uh, the companies that will not hire them, that actually honor the, the the E-Verify system, you know, these folks are going to get a lot of underground jobs, and they're going to turn to crime. I mean, how many of the street crimes, how many of the crimes are committed by illegals? Nobody knows because they're not saying. You have to go to the Illegal Alien Crime Report, which reports all kinds of things that you never hear about. It's like Robert Spencer with his Jihad Watch. When you hear about all the Muslim crimes you don't hear about because you know, the media just want to talk about Muslims, because they're, they're, they are Islamophobes. You know, they're afraid of looking like they don't like Muslims. Well, you just talk about who people are well, and tell you kids know, have to worry to, about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe they need to deputize Americans to do just that. Did well, not did you hear uh, Joe Biden, Biden deputize, uh, uh public school members to uh, overrule parents when it comes down to decisions about their children?
1: Well, they're deputized. They have to report any, any kind of abuse they see. They're they're bound by law. If they got a kid, you know, that looks like they've been abused or malnourished or bruised up or anything like that, they have to report that. And that's actually that's not a bad thing, um, unless it goes too far. Unless they report people for being conservative, <laughs> you never know when they're going to cross the line. But as far as reporting abuse, that's a good thing. You want to stop that abuse. But with their, but the problem is that the parents well, should be able to report abuse. abuse. it's, yeah.
2: it's not abuse if a child wants to say a male child wants to say that he's a girl. A female uh-huh. at 12 o'clock noon, the parents it. Uh-huh. then the school members can go along with the child and disregard the input from the parent.
1: Oh, see, that's a crime, too. See, that's the other problem. That's, that's the flip side of what I was talking about, is that just as, the parent, as teachers should be able to report abuse that they find with the students, parents need to report the abuse they find with their kids, you know, from, from teachers. In other words, any teacher that tries to, quote, you know, change the gender of a student, which we know can't be done. And because it can't be done, we know it's a crime. All they can do is drug and mutilate. You know, I mean, what they're calling gender affirming care, you know, what I call drug and mutilation care, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's not even care. It's just the opposite. So those teachers need to be reported. Those teachers need to be fired. Those teachers need to go before school boards made up of parents. The parents need to have their own. Here's an idea for you. Uh, parents should have their own, I guess, tribunals, hearings. Uh, what, what should we do? How do we, how do we change? I think we're on to something here. Wait a minute. How do we change school boards? You know especially the ones run by parents, that the school boards can bring up teachers on charges, and parents can talk to them openly you know in hearings. did you try to change the gender of this child? did you you know that kind of stuff? There should be some kind of oversight uh in the school boards themselves. What do you think of that idea? ooh, I think I'm onto something here.
2: Anything to, to secure the liberty of the citizens, especially areas that apply to them having jurisdiction over their own church.
1: You know, let's put parents on school boards. Well, parents need to be on school boards, actually. Okay, so speaking – hey, this is kind of – I'm getting away from my microphone. Parents on school boards. Yeah, it would be interesting uh, that if teachers would be brought before school boards for doing abusive stuff, then they should be in a public hearing. You know, and they can face their accusers. That's fine with me, but at least they'll face them. <laughs> they won't be sitting, hiding in, in the schoolroom, being sheltered by the, the teachers' unions and other things. So I, I, wrote, a, I wrote an article uh, back in 2016, and I call it my uh, – there's a bunch of articles I wrote uh, before heart surgery. I call them my just-in-case articles. And so just-in-case, <laughs> you know, these are the last things I was writing because you never know. Stuff happens in the hospitals, uh, although this is way before COVID. This is back 2016. Um, So one of the big articles I wrote was a completely new model for education. And so I wanted to put down everything I could about education in one article. Well, it turned out to be 14,000 words long. And so I'm doing it in a series of of segments and a series of parts uh, in uh, Substack. So if you go to gregpengliss.substack.com, you will see that we're now up to part three. Um, Part four, I'm going to release today and probably part five on on Saturday. And, And if I need a part six, I'll do that. I think Part five is probably going to do it. I'm trying to keep these around 15 to 1,700 words. So they're manageable articles. But they're all going to be in one place. And you will see a completely, literally a completely different model for education, something that isn't done anywhere that I know of, but that's kind of, what I do. <laughs> he just come up with ideas that no one's ever thought of. And so it would be, it's based on, on certificates of mastery. You're going to get this in the next couple of articles uh, where students, you know, there's no grades, there's no class, there's no, uh, there's no the, the, of the common divisions, there's no real classrooms really. It's just an entire, it's all, education is all individual. And what you do is that you prove your knowledge of the subject by teaching another student. And if that other student understands, then you can move on. So, in other words, you have a certificate of mastery you 've understood a subject, and if a kid and parents are you know think the, the, the kid should be college bound they 're going to get more certificates in English and math and science and philosophy and stuff like that. If the kid wants to be you know the world 's greatest auto engineer, more math, more physics, more creativity graphic design, car design things like that. You know, whatever, whatever the kid wants to, to do, you know, you can, you can tailor the education because the certificates are completely open and anything can be considered education. Flying lessons, you know, I learned to fly as a kid. That would, there would be certificates of mastery for that. You know, and so it, it's a completely individual system and it's full choice. So it's fully vouchered, fully funded by all the education taxes. So the, the education taxes go back to your parents and, of course, other adults who don't have kids because you can't reward, you know, one group in society without rewarding everybody. There are no special rights. Uh, contrary what the LGBTQ community thinks. Anyway, so that's that's basically how it works. And I, I started with the ancient systems of education, and I moved through uh, the, the one-room schoolhouse uh, and to modern, the modern-day factory model with, with the 1800s Prussian model of education. It's interesting that the one of my favorite videos on the Prussian model of education has been deleted by YouTube. <laughs> I guess too many people thought. So although I, I, I uh, it's in the link is there in my. Um, uh, in my report, uh, you can't – at least I couldn't find it, so you have to, probably have to find it under another name. But, yeah, we're based on oppression model of military oppression, of breaking the will of the student, of conditioning them to serve government. That's what our whole education system is about. That's why government cannot be – ever be allowed to educate kids ever again. And people don't – they see that. They'll say, well, I, I went through the public schools, and I turned out okay." You have no idea. <laughs> you know, I, I just, in fact, I was on a, pod show, a podcast show just a couple of weeks ago. I won't say word, but uh, it was heavily dominated by education, by teachers, by people in the education place. And one guy says to me, he says, I, I, I went to public schools. I turned out fine. And I felt like saying, you have no idea what you could have been. You have no idea you turned out fine. Judging by what? If you only went to public schools and you say you turned out fine, by what standard are you judging yourself? You know, you're judging yourself by your own opinion based on nothing because you have no idea if you turned out fine. You have no idea if you're indoctrinated or not because you can't see it because you went through the government schools like most everybody else. And people don't see the indoctrination. They don't realize how much they've been channeled. See, this is the advantage of living in three countries. You know, I went from one indoctrinating system in Canada to a different indoctrination system in Australia to a third indoctrination system in the United States. And by the time I saw it for the third time, it's like, oh, this is indoctrination. I get it. (laughs) You know, the only, the saving grace was my private school in Australia. That's right. That's where I had the best education. It was an all boys school. Uh, It was a prominent school in Melbourne, you know, and and that's Cohen now but uh, we had school uniforms, we had discipline. I got caned, you know, we had a headmaster, you know, in, in, the, in the high school, the teachers wore black robes. It was very strict discipline, but in that discipline was our greatest freedom because we could cover the most subjects and ask the, the deepest questions. Once I came to the United States, you know, it's like Canada. It was a public school system, very restricted, very uh, um, authoritarian, very regimented, and not a whole lot of room for creativity or questions. You know, freedom comes from, um, you know, private education. It just does. I'm gonna roll today.
2: Well, I agree that there should be the ability for parents to put their children in the educational mm-hmm. environment that they think is best for their long-term educational goal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the money that's allocated to the traditional schools that that child's set in a desk, well, that money should be able to follow the child.
0: Mm-hmm. We talk that's about
2: how disadvantage. Yeah, we talk about how disadvantaged and poor are not given the opportunities. Well, give them that opportunities and let them be in control of mm-hmm. that child
0: education.
1: Well, you could do a series of things. You could do uh, a voucher, pure vouchers for for lower income folks. You could do uh, tax credits to offset taxes if people have a you know a decent income and they're paying a lot of tax anyway. So you could do that. That'd be for like the upper half of the population. So so the, the folks that don't pay taxes, which is most people, it's like 53%, do not pay federal income tax, you know, between the standard deduction and, and mortgage interest and all the other deductions. Although here's how mortgage interest, interest was changed. I'm not sure about that. Anyway, there's enough deductions that most people don't pay tax, child care, tax credits, things like that. Most people, the, more than half of the, of the United States does not pay income tax or does not pay tax. But, you know, I think it's income tax. You know, so, so those are the folks that would, uh, Where am I going with this? Hang on, let me think about this for a minute. Um, yeah, those are the ones that would, would get a voucher if they need it. Um, but the tax credits would go to the upper income people cause they're going to need it more. And the tax deductions would probably go to the highest income people that where the cost of education doesn't affect their income at all. You know? So, I mean, you could graduate or you just make everybody equal, which is probably the better system. Just have a full voucher. You know, if people don't need it, they can turn it in or donate it somewhere else or whatever they want to do. Um, that makes more sense, but it's gotta be full school choice, full choice. Yeah, no goes to be education speaking, except their no. parents. Yeah.
2: No matter what your financial status is, it should be equal.
1: Yeah, I think that makes more sense. Every once in a while, I slip <laughs> and, and, and digress into what feels good. You know, it's like okay, fine, that makes sense. Now, so if everybody gets the same voucher, if multi billionaires get the same voucher that uh, you know a homeless person gets, that'd be interesting interesting way to do it. But anyway. Uh, but, you know, it makes sense because, you know, 14th Amendment, equal protection of the laws. But you have to have a full school choice system. No money should go directly from taxpayer to government to schools. It has to go um, from government back to people, you know, and then to schools. To well, schools are,
2: schools are mm-hmm. funded by a taxing system mm-hmm. per is that a location. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's a local community... Well, then they have a tax base that applied to the running of the schools in that local community. Mm-hmm. The only time the federal government gets involved is when school districts take on such programs as free and reduced lunches and other things like Title IX and so on and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. that makes sense. But I'm thinking that
1: what the better system would be to have no education taxes at all. So no money goes to government to have to be given back. That's probably the better system. And then you can work on just go on a voucher tax credit tax um, deduction system. You know, you could do it that way. And that way to be different. Yeah, be income based, but uh, as long as no taxes were taken. Well, no, but I'm saying if if no taxes were taken for education, people would pay for education themselves, and they could pay for it however they wanted. But if you wanted to have vouchers you know for for lower level level incomes, you know so they didn't have to worry about it uh, that would just come out of the general fund It wouldn't be an education tax, but everybody would be would have more money anyway simply because they weren't taxed for education. they would just pay for it directly
2: well yeah, well, the state is responsible to make sure that each child gets a basic education. As are they? you can describe
0: it. Well,
2: well yes, let, me, let me think about this. Children in, ch- in schools today are tested to make sure that uh-huh. they have a basic understanding of reading and writing and arithmetic. But should that and be a big responsibility? Okay. Yeah, well, it is a state. That's what's it's written up in the state's constitution.
0: Hmm.
1: Let's look that up. Let's look up Florida Constitution education provisions. Let's, let's take a look real quick. I have cut down on my only, windows.
0: I can
2: only talk about the states, I know. But no, okay. you have a, a property taxes and mm-hmm. certain taxable categories like that have, even lottery, by the way, goes toward the running of your public schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said before, th- that money should be able to be taken by a parent and they can put their child where they want, and let other if they want if other schools want to have all these uh, exotic types of programs and that, mm-hmm. well, perfectly fine. But your child should not have to be exposed to that. if You don't want your child exposed to it.
1: Yeah. See, my plan there'd be no government schools. I mean, if people want them. You know, they could they could. Uh... You know, I guess start one, but as far as I can see, the government should have no business in education. And if you didn't tax education, you just had people pay for education directly. All right? So that way folks who didn't have kids, they wouldn't be taxed for a system they don't want or don't use. Uh, everybody pays directly. And those, like I say, if you have, uh, you have a voucher program for folks of lower income so they can get the same education that somebody that has tons of money can get. I mean, that's, that's how you want to do it. That would be equal protection well, you of the do law.
2: Have some com- you do have some community that don't accept any federal funds, and there are public schools. I can name at least two, Clayton in Missouri and Ledoux in Missouri. Very, maybe less than a half percent, maybe a percentage-wide.
3: Mm-hmm. The rest
2: of their money comes from the local community and also the formula that's reduced by the state board of education.
1: You know, but our, but our highest education standards in this country were when there was no government schools. You know, things really got screwed up once the government, once they, they brought in the Horace Mann and some of these other folks that brought the Prussian model of education uh, and basically turned it into a, a you know, schools are like an authoritarian police state, basically, government schools. You know, you look at the way they work, the way they operate. If you go back to the one-room schoolhouse where it was much more of a free environment where they didn't discriminate by age, you know, and that uh, older students taught younger students and people learned how to think and write, you know, you look at most of the, of the, the, the great works. Uh, a lot of the stuff, I mean, our founders all came out of homeschools all of them, there was no government school, you know, and you look at the, the i always remember the, the public radio did a special, and the public TV uh, did a special on letters from the Civil War, and you're talking about farm kids, you know, kids that never went to a school were writing these brilliant letters, well, Where did they learn how to do that? You know, it, it, there was no government schools, there was no money for government schools, so, you know, they, they learned, their folks taught them, or they had a tutor, or they went to a one-room schoolhouse, so they, uh, you know, and of course, they did their own work, but uh, but the but the problem what it comes down to is that governments don't educate. They can't. The highest education standards are always with the least government involvement. So if you really you well, want to the your population, in really a government school. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: The, the government has nothing to do with the curriculum and what's taught in the school other than special programs like ROTC oh. uh, of military uh, introductions. And like I said before, a uh, school district will get funding for free and reduced lunch programs and maybe a couple, but as far as what's taught, mm-hmm. the only way the government applies their fist is when they say that the school district has to go about a discrimination policies that's similar to that of the United States, of the, of the federal government.
1: Yeah, now, like let me hold you up there. Let me hold you up there because I goofed. I actually have my screen covered up with this article I was looking at, the Florida Constitution. Derek's here. My apologies to Derek. So let's let's get started. We can pick this up uh, after his report. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm out of sorts on Friday. I, the, all the Fridays have changed. We're a different time. Uh, two of my reporters, actually three of my reporters, have gone. <laughs> Friday's really messed up. We got to. I, I got to fix that. So my apologies, Derek. I'm sorry. I should have got you a couple minutes ago.
2: Yeah. No worries.
1: All right. So let's start with the report because we know we're going to forget it uh-huh. if we don't. There's so much going on out there. So let's start with that and let's and uh, let's see what's happening.
4: No worries. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek with uh, Edward Jones, bringing you the daily financial market report. Stock slump on the back of higher inflation readings. Again, stocks fell after a report showed that the PPI, the producer price index in January was sizably higher than expectations. The PPI is a measure of inflation and the higher than expected reading is fueling concerns among investors that the Fed will have to tighten further, uh, to slow in- inflation. Also, jobless claims data edged lower, another sign that the labor market remains resilient in the face of inflation and higher Fed rates. U.S. Treasury yields are up sharply, sharply with 10-year bond yields at 3.8%, higher than recent lows set in the fixed income market. Oil remains range-bound, despite the upcoming oil reserve release aimed at bolstering supply page two the US, equ- <laughs> <laughs> US equities close uh, close lower with the um, well, he's got these numbers wrong in this report hold on because the market went oh. down yesterday Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the real number give me a second
1: uh, oh yeah no problem I appreciate you uh, appreciate the accuracy I mean, how old is the well, report? Did it come the out the night before, or when? when of these reports. It comes
4: out the night. The, the data that's in there is correct, but whoever did the section on the, uh, <laughs> the U.S. equities is wrong. So Uh-oh. U.S. equities, yeah, it's from it's from um, uh, it's from yesterday, <laughs> is what it is. Okay. U.S. equities close <laughs> close uh, lower, um, with the Dow Jones down two hundred and fifth. I'm sorry. 431 points or 1.26%, and the NASDAQ closed down 214 points or 1.78%, and the S&P 500 closed down um, 57 points or 1.38%. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down 47 cents or 0.59 to 78.59, and the spot price of gold was down $17.17 seventeen dollars and seventeen cents or point nine two uh eighteen forty-eight and thirty cents. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member S I P C. You can get me at eight five zero
1: nine nine five zero zero eight two. First thing I noticed, uh, the jobs report. We did we did some reports on this where they changed the numbers. Uh it's not accurate. They they've adjusted the, the seasonal or they've adjusted something. They've adjusted out the bad news. <laughs> so it actually looks a lot better than it really is. So Right, right. So how do we trust any of these reports? They just keep changing the way they measure. You know, it's weird. It's not accurate. There's no no standard. So what is the jobs number?
4: Um, You know, I mean, I'd have to go do some research on that, Greg. I mean, I'm not real Mm. sure off the top of my head. I mean, I know that they've they've got the numbers, you know, from jobs rejoining, you know, that, that after COVID people came back and that's mixed in um yeah. you know so there's there's not a real real number of employment um mm. you know that I think that, that is accurate and then additionally the, you know the jobs report wasn't far I think it was 6000 off what the estimates were so I think the, the the market reaction yesterday was a little higher um or a little overreacted to 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 news um what you know it... in the same
0: <clears> ticket <throat> Well,
4: what does it say
1: exactly in that report? Because I, I think I was writing at the time it actually mentioned it. They said the jobs are, are stable or are doing well. or What was the exact wording in
4: the report? The, the jobs the jobs came back at um, – you're talking about in the report that I just read? Yes. Um, hold on. Let me go back to that spot here. Page one? <laughs> page one? All right. Let me see here. Let's see here also jobless claims data edged lower another sign that the labor markets remain resilient in the face of inflation. Um, so that basically the jobs report, um, so jobs report was estimated at 200,000 jobs. Um, and, um, 194,000 were created. So there was like a 6,000 job spread in, you know, what the estimations were. Um, You know, and that's basically saying, hey, you know, we're kind of on target for having, you know, I guess a good job market. You know, the market, the market, if you haven't noticed, doesn't want to hear a good jobs report. It wants to hear a bad jobs report. Why is that? Uh, My personal opinion is I think with a bad jobs report, that means unemployment is spiking and everybody can go ahead and announce recession
0: um oh, you know they need
1: permission to do this this is is this the, the thinking because well, we say recession that, that all the time is, yeah. we, we know there's a recession well, well, why is we, such a bad word why, why is such a bad word why don't you tell the truth
4: because everybody everybody thinks oh eight oh nine. you know what i mean when you say recession that's the last recession we have so everybody just right. goes in a panic mode everybody's like oh my god the sky's falling you know what i mean um you know you know our investments are going to lose 40 to 50% of their value you know what i mean let's let's just go into panic oh um, you know oh, I see how not this works. all not well not all recessions are created equal so i mean if right. this if if this is a recession that we're in however the government wants to put it we've had 14 recessions since uh the great depression of those 14 recessions seven uh were actually green recessions the market went up during the recession. Um, huh. Of the seven that are left, if if we're included in one, four of them were not really that bad. We actually went to recession and then it kind of recovered in less than a year, um, or right at about a year. Of the of the three that are left, um, you know, two of them were were devastating. That's 08 and 09, um, uh-huh. and um, uh, and and the Great Depression, and then the uh, the other one would be back in the 80s, and then where we're at right now, we kind of don't know. So that's kind of the outlier.
1: But, you know, these recessions are all government costs. You know, you look at the, the, the lack of regulation of the financial market, which got us into the, the original Great Depression. You look at all the, 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 the Roosevelt's programs that continued the Great Depression long after a free market would have, would have uh, uh, canceled it like it like was done, you know, before we had the Roaring Twenties. You know, all these things are government-imposed. Which is fascinating, mm-hmm. but they, they never say that. They, they don't announce them as government, in, you know, recessions. They, they should talk about government-imposed inflation, and people wanna understand. This is a government recession, and it's the psychology that if you, when we're in a recession, you can't say that we're in a recession because it might actually make for a worse recession. That's kind of what you're saying.
4: <laughs> or well, that's I, 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 a good way of saying it, Greg. I mean, I, I really, I really say that. But but you know, really, if everybody would have been calling this what it was, you know, six months ago. You know, if they would have been like, "Hey, it looks like we're we're entering recession," um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's going to be a soft landing. Um, you know, um, I, I don't think we would have near the problems that we would. You know, um, you know, recessions can last; uh, they can last a long time as long as you're mm-hmm. in negative GDP and and production is low. You know, and and you know, I mean, people are already bottling up now. January just showed a little sign of resilience, but it's also the month following Christmas, which statistically has also been a big shopping month.
0: Uh-huh.
4: <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that's when all the sales come out. That's when people discount stuff, all the things they brought in for Christmas that they didn't sell. So statistically, it's already a month that they anticipate to be a little bit of a higher, uh, higher, higher purchasing, um, you know, but yet they're like, oh, you know, January was a little bit of a big month. OK, let's panic sell, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, again,
2: well you it's know, perception versus reality.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Panky, go ahead.
2: You know, Derek, uh, it would be more genuist if the debt of the federal, state, and local will be broken down to reflect what each citizen and each taxpayer owes out of that debt. Basically I mean that's that's what it is anyway. Then We're the exactly people right would have a day. more yeah the people would have a more realistic view of exactly what's being spoken about. Because when you use these words, the average citizen don't know what you're talking about. But if they open up an envelope and say that uh, you owe on the federal debt because you are a taxpayer two hundred forty-six thousand eight hundred fifty-seven dollars, then you would get some notes. Right. Yeah. I mean,
4: I, I I I agree. I mean, sure, that would be that would be wonderful. But I don't think it's anything that'll happen. <laughs>
1: You know, we did the debt clock the other day. That's what, uh, you know, it was interesting to sort of go with some of the numbers. I had an older debt clock, but the, the newer ones have all, the, all these great thing, numbers going on. I tend to disagree with that, Pianki, and I'll tell you why. You, know, you can sort of like throw yourself in the middle of this um, if you want. But to me, just, it's like blaming the taxpayers. Like we ran up the debt. We didn't run up the debt. Congress ran up the debt. They're the ones who are responsible. And it's not that we owe. Yeah. They owe. And they're going to borrow money? You know, which isn't going to be counted in that figure that we're supposedly owing here. They have bonds that they have to pay. They're borrowing money to pay off previous bonds. The solution really is what we've talked about here on the show, constitutional amendment ending borrowing by Congress right now. That will solve all right. of these problems well, once they stop borrowing. It may, but it inflation – go ahead, still,
2: You still got uh-huh. those bills that's still old, though, and it's right. the people that put those congressperson – in office, who, by the way, contributed to the debt because they're getting paid, like the White House press secretary, she's earning about one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year for what she does. So it's the people. Ultimate.
1: I'm in the wrong job.
4: Oh well, well, yeah. uh, you guys didn't see the uh the last uh uh spending bill that included uh, all the members of Congress go from one hundred seventy-four thousand to two hundred twelve thousand a year.
1: Oh, I missed that one. Gee, they got a really oh, yeah. bad time. Yeah, yeah. Oh
4: yeah, buddy. Yeah, I mean, and 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 not to mention, I mean, they work 174 days a year. 174 days a year, they work and they make 212 thousand dollars a year. You know, the rest of the time, they they um, are are spent. You know, I guess in their in their districts or you know, um, I don't know, <laughs> abusing the tax dollars. So they making else. more than a thousand dollars a day.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, te- teachers only work 180 days a year, and they get paid. They don't get paid as well as members of Congress. But uh, you know, the idea that people in Congress are the only ones who are only working six months out of the year <laughs> is a little crazy. Well, let's look um,
2: at the relationship between teachers and Congress. It's the teachers okay. that's putting out uh, citizens with a lack of, with a, with a large degree of ignorance that's voting these Congress people in the office, who's making over a thousand dollars a day and doing nothing.
1: Well, see, now that's the best part of what you were talking about, of, of breaking up the, the, the debt, you know, per taxpayer. I disagree with it, that it's going to have a, an impact the way you want it to. Um, but what I was thinking also, and I want to run this by both of you, that if a bill came out and they said how much that would contribute to inflation, it says, you know, you could have this, or how much, you know, who's, which special interests are going to get the money? You know, if they have a spending bill, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, well, how much inflation is that going to cost? There should be an inflation index, you know, from the Congressional Research Service per bill. You know, so you remember when
2: it was simple when the federal debt was apportioned among the states, then the states apportioned it among the citizens of the state. Let's go back to that.
1: Well, yeah, but you have to get rid of the 17th or the 16th Amendment. You need to get rid of both of them. One, I think 17th for senators uh, to be um, elected by the state legislatures again. And the other one, I think 16th was the income tax. You got to repeal that. But that's the way you do it. But you got to put the states between the the people and the government and the federal government. That's that's the problem. Ever since that happened, that's been our biggest problem. But Derek, what do you think about this? If if each bill came with uh, an inflation index, this will cause so much inflation. This will call my, cause so much debt. If you know, given current situation, I mean,
4: that'd be that'd be amazing. I mean, I I think that well, the, the government has has a due diligence to produce that. In my in my personal opinion, you know, hey, if the public saw the damage, you know, that uh-huh. these spending bills. I mean, like you, you know, their their first. Their first spending bill, like the Democrats, three point five trillion. I mean, our country's in debt up to our dang eyeballs. Like, what the hell are you guys thinking about? Which, oh by the way, one point five trillion of that had nothing to absolutely do with infrastructure. You know, what I mean, one point five trillion dollars. Could you imagine one point five trillion dollars going into the infrastructure that we truly needed? You know, improving our schools, improving our, our systems, improving our roads you know what uh-huh. i mean it's just uh you know it's a- absolutely sick and then well, let's, you know where's the accounta- where's the accountability of that money you know i mean there's there's no accountability department we're just we're supposed to assume that the government spends it the right way and um you know it's just uh you know I mean, it's sickening you know what i mean to the point that uh you know i mean it's causing causing problems in our in our in our country and our society
1: no, I absolutely well, agree. You, and Derek, speaking of infrastructure, would... a, a whole, okay, let, me, let me. I want. I want to switch over. We're going to Derek for a few more minutes. I want to talk about the railroads. Uh, speaking of infrastructure, and and Pete and I have been talking about this from the railroad ties to the lack of spikes to the lack of maintenance to the uh, the, the electronic, you know, versus the old style brakes. You know, we, we went over air brakes earlier. We've got a serious problem. They're not investing in railroads at all. And h- how is this? Right. Um, how has this affected the market in terms of, you know, freight carrying and future and, and what's going on, you know, with the the Ohio disaster, which is really a government disaster. It's not that the train crashed and killed a bunch of people that didn't. The train crashed. I don't think anybody was really seriously hurt by the actual derailment. What what was causing all the problems is the government deciding to openly burn, you know, vinyl chloride, creating phosgene gas, which was a, a war crime chemical, you know, from World War One. This is fascinating. And that's the real problem. Yeah. They have, it's a government-induced environmental disaster. How's that? Yeah, the market? so
4: so the market I haven't seen has had a, a direct impact yet. And while you were talking, I went and looked at three of the railroad companies, and I didn't oh, see yeah. any 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 big impact on them. Um, you know, but huh. um, I'm not going to say that there won't be an impact that comes from what happened. But initially, mm-hmm. there is not any market response.
1: Interesting. Um, how about uh, how about just transportation supply lines in general? Is anybody reporting on? Gee, we better stay away from trains, or we better fix the trains, or we better you know fix the tracks and then look at the braking systems. We better do something to make sure this doesn't happen again. Is anything like that happening from the financial reporters?
4: I I know I've seen stuff before, but I haven't seen stuff recently. I'd have to go. I'd have to go seek it out. But I know I've yeah. seen things that said, hey, you know, this infrastructure is is critically. Um you know, it's 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 not bad, but you know, hey, we need to start focusing our attention on it.
1: Yeah. I mean it's not a direct relationship where you you know you don't you don't buy infrastructure or trade infrastructure on the on the market. <laughs> but anything that, that moves, you know, the whole purpose of commerce is to is to move goods, you know, and services and a lot of us done electronically now for the services, but goods still have to get from where they're made to where they're sold. You know, that requires right. infrastructure, it mean, that requires road roads, rail and air, you know, and ships. Right. You
4: know. And, that's, and that's something every country, you know, um, you know, I don't want to say every country, but like the European uh-huh. countries, the Asian countries, uh-huh. that's something they did better than us. You know, what I mean, they focus on the rail systems and, yeah. you know, I mean, their rail systems are significantly more advanced um, uh-huh. and and more well taken care of. You know, what I mean, it's, uh, you know, U.S., I mean, I think we did an OK job, but I don't think we built nearly enough of what we need for the size of our country. hmm.
1: Uh-huh. Well, the distances are different. I traveled to Europe. by train for almost three months, you know, back in the 80s, right. and uh, it was fabulous. It was fascinating. Even the countries that weren't as wealthy had a decent train system, and the trains, they all had two spikes, you know, in their their plate that, that fastens the rail And Pank and I talked about this the other day, uh, so, but we have one, you know, so you've got two plates for spikes, but we only put one spike in on each side. So it, it's two per side, you know, so that's four total, but there's eight. You know, uh, uh, in the European trains. So we have four; they have eight. So they have twice the amount of spikes in their rail. Their rails don't flex up and down like ours do. I've watched them. You know, their their tracks are much more rigid. They have a lot more concrete ties as opposed to the wooden right. ones that we have. Now, granted, they have less wood, right. you know, because they've destroyed their forests. Right. The thing is, you're and they're electric much more, which is in the in the urban so areas makes a lot much of their, more sense. Go ahead.
4: A lot of their countries' roads are built better, uh, while the mm-hmm. ours the uh, average thickness of. The 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 asphalt layers and the Mm
0: -hmm.
4: and the you know whatever material they use is like eleven inches where theirs is like fifteen inches,
1: you know. So that makes a a huge difference. uh,
4: Assumably, I mean, I've seen an article that says, you know, hey, their roads last longer and their infrastructure is in better shape because they put this extra material in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of your look at this. I actually saw that in relation to, like, the German Autobahn, which the German okay. Autobahn, uh, they put a lot of extra into, you know what I mean, because mm-hmm. of what it does. Uh, but they use that as an example of what everybody else should be doing because of how resilient it is and, and what it does for the transportation system.
1: You were stationed in Europe, weren't you, at some point? No. Or no? no. Oh, okay. No. Oh, too bad. <laughs> GDY. <laughs> you Temporary enjoyed, duty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, let's go to Remstein and go hang out at the the local, you know, beer hall or <laughs> beer house. <hall>. Yeah, <laughs> would have been would have been fun. I travel. I, like I say, I traveled all over Europe. I mean, uh, and the only countries I didn't go to were on, on the extremes. You know, Norway and Finland on one end, and Spain and Portugal on the other. But I went I hit every right. place in Western Europe, including Liechtenstein, which is four miles by 60 Oh, yeah. miles. Yeah. You know, I got passport like a passport from yeah.
4: the most wealthy nation or something like that. Oh, yeah. That's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I remember,
1: dude, I was talking to a lunch there. It was fascinating, you know, and because uh, everybody speak, spoke, I, I think, with, uh, it was like I forgot what it was. Anyway, Swiss, French, some combination, German. Um, very little English. in a so don't go there. It's gotcha. not a big tour. <laughs> that's gotcha. okay. Whatever. Yeah. That's true. Anyway, but the point was the trains are, are huge. But see, in Europe, though, they have a, a greater population density. You know, and the distances are shorter. So you've got 60 million people in Germany alone. You know, we've got 300 million here, but our country's a whole lot bigger. You know, So trains make sense. I think they make sense here too. It's, it's still the cheapest way to move freight is by rail. But Europe was all yeah. bombed out. Europe was bombed out in World War II. All their trains are post-1945. We've got rail tracks that go back probably to the 1800s. The trains are different. You know, what would you say? The again, tracks Chris? Themselves. Well, as you say, the tracks themselves, you know, I mean, we've got old technology. We, we weren't bombed out in World War II. You know, we haven't rebuilt our infrastructure. We've got bridges. You know, we've got pre-World War I bridges. We've got all kinds of really old infrastructure. And has anybody done a study on, on the, 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 um, the effective infrastructure on the economy? you know, the companies that make the goods and, and move the goods and the transportation the supply lines, how, you know, how much is that improved? I I know it's improved by good infrastructure, but has anybody tried to quantify that and talk about how bad I'm sure they is? have. I haven't, yeah. I
4: haven't seen anything specifically though.
1: Okay. Hmm. Huge point. It's the things you don't see, the intangibles, as it were. Pianka, you had a point
2: you wanted to make earlier, I think. Or no. Well, there's a lot to talk about, and we mm-hmm. see the situation that we're in, and I think it's just deplorable for Congress to be voting themselves, sneaking themselves in these, the salary. I think their 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 salary needs to be cut in half, really. But uh, I, we I got a lot to agree with.
1: <laughs> what was that, Derek?
4: I said I couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah. Well you know we had some who had an interesting theory, we should talk about this too sometime Robert Spencer, when he was on he, he does jihad watch, and I want to get him back on. He had an idea of uh, of an issues based election and i 'm going to talk to him more about this because I think it 's a brilliant idea so that and we talked about how, when he was on the show, having the midterms uh, where there'd be like a hundred categories and you vote for this is where early voting can come in handy, not ballot harvesting you know machines i 'm talking about real just paper ballots, but you you rank. You know things you check off the five most important or you you know you rank them one to a hundred or, or whatever you want to do mm-hmm. but there yeah. should be a way to take a, a national poll um, that would be reported and, and it should have some kind of you know not binding effect on Congress but it's certainly a strong effect you know that the, the you know we have an issues where we, where we put the issues forward, and, and infrastructure would be one of the big ones for me congressional salaries um, you, you might want a time to their approval rating that'd be interesting <laughs> you know, but God, that's such
0: yeah. a, you know, th- there's I'm an not, idea. Give, I wouldn't
4: say the ahead. approval rating. How about their success rating? I mean, because the approval rating, I mean, you got people that are just going and disapprove because, you know, party over politics. Um, you know I mean? It's just, I I think people would just be, be vindictive.
1: Yeah, that's true. People are so short-term in their thinking. But it's such a small portion of the budget. You, you look at, uh, well, I think, well, how about this idea, of, if we had uh, an inflation debt, unemployment index per bill. You know, we actually, you know, how much will this cost? Um, They used to have things where the money would come from. But if it said that we're going to have to borrow this much money and of course the situation would change, you know, but at least they get some kind of indication. I don't know how they do that where this will increase the debt by so much, it'll cause so much inflation um, and it's going to, you know, potentially put so many, you know, folks out of work per bill or my game, game, uh, game jobs. You know, that could be fudged.
2: Be yeah. I think
1: I might say with, uh, with debt and inflation because jobs can be so suspect. Didn't I hear that the jobs, they lost like $5 uh, million? They, they reported they gained half a million, but they actually lost like between 5 and $7 million, actually, or, or whatever it was. They actually lost a lot more jobs, but it didn't show up in the report because they changed the way they measured it. That's what I heard. Uh,
4: yes, I, 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 did, I did see something on that, and you're, and you're absolutely right. I don't know the numbers. But I basically mm-hmm. – are you talking about for COVID, what was lost versus what was what was brought back?
1: Well, it's a report I had. I had to get rid of all my uh, – I had a bunch of articles about my computer. It was screwing up the signal.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I got rid
1: of a lot of them. I'd have to look it up again. But there was they, – they, they changed the way they were measured, and that's how they were allowed yeah. to uh, uh, to report something that wasn't true. Now they just lost Yeah, I might be it, but I did yeah, – yeah,
4: I did see something to that effect. Okay.
1: So what's coming up in the, in the, do you think in the economy this year? Any, any forecasts or anything we haven't talked about? We've got a couple of minutes left here.
4: No, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, in my personal opinion, I was actually expecting the unemployment report to be a little bit worse than it was, but there's still one okay. more leg of it that's got to come. Um, and that comes next week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so the, it may not be over. I mean, it, it, I think a lot of titles you see when you're reading through the news are, Hey, um, layoffs are happening. Layoffs are happening. So, you know, Big tech. I, I think
1: what's, going with tech? what's going with tech? They're laying with off what?
4: all kinds of people. Big
1: tech's laying off all kinds oh, yeah. of people. What's going on?
4: I mean, I saw your car companies are laying people off. I already saw that coming. You know, I mean, that's industrial, right? So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, tech is there industry's there. Um, um, there's some manufacturing, I think, you know I mean? Not, not on the thick scale that tech is because tech was booming, you know I mean? For two years, like, like uh-huh. crazy. Um, You know, but, uh, you know, where we are in the economy, I mean, things that are coming up, um, you know, obviously, um, you know, the Fed, um, it still has a little bit of control to get over inflation because we had a little spike this month. I think it's not a big concern. I think it's just based on consumer spending. Um, Next is, um, you know, what their their rate hike cycle is going to be. That's always big concern because people can't plan if they're going to keep moving the rates around. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and the next thing is, is where does recession fall? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Are we in recession? You know I mean? And that's, you know, we're, we're arguing that based on what the government says, but you know, the bottom line is they haven't said, Hey, we're in recession. There's a, what is it? The national economic information board, NEIB, I think it is. I, <laughs>
0: I've never heard you know, of that,
4: but you know, it makes sense. Well, that's, that's where it comes from. You know, when that, when that branch of the government says, okay, we're in recession, then we're in recession, you know what I mean? so, and again, uh-huh. you know, I mean, when you have a, a government that's that's you know manipulating the meaning of things then you know it's it's on their watch
1: well clinton started i remember but you the, know what when they, when they switched hold on they, they switched the uh, the employment measurement the the u3 clinton changed the numbers if, if you measured them the old way uh unemployment would be not you know three five percent whatever it is it'd be like eight to twelve percent so they, they keep changing the numbers there's no standard here go ahead bianchi what were you going to say
2: well, I've got a solution for all this. What's like that? I've seen robots in uh, Walmart and some of the other let's charge robots that's being used to take the replace human beings. Let's make them pay a employee tax, like the human being would.
1: I was thinking that just Ooh. as you were saying it. Yeah. How about a robot payroll tax? So the companies will right, still have right. to pay. I like that. All right, let's, let's all right, that's what the Pianki you want to do that one? So
2: let's any, call it a robot any, Artificial intelligence that's used to replace human beings should pay a payroll tax. I love that idea. I like it. Yeah,
4: I
1: think that's that's, that's I think, brilliant.
4: I think it uh, it would incentivize companies to to start seeking out better people rather than robots. Mm-hmm.
1: Now we don't want to go we don't want to go all buggy whip, you know, where you where the teamsters wanted to preserve the buggy whip jobs, you know, because the automobile was a great improvement. But if they're specifically replacing people, uh, and we're not saying companies can't have robots, we're just going to say, but that's, if a robot is acting as an employee, then why shouldn't they pay a payroll tax on them?
0: That's
2: right. In your that's automobile like. plants, in uh-huh. your automobile plants, these robot welders and that, they should be paying an employee tax. You can have the robot, but they need to pay an employee tax because you're creating people that can't buy what the robot is producing.
1: You know, you'd think the Democrats would be in favor of this.
2: <laughs> I don't know. This is going to be great. Let's, let's see
1: who picks up on it. I, I want to write this. I'm going to write this one myself and, and get your all input on it. Uh, I got, actually have two of them to write from, from our discussion this morning. One on having an inflation and a debt report that, that attaches to every bill. And the second one is a robot, you know, AI uh, payroll tax. That, those, those are two brilliant. Gentlemen, i give you a second. Where's, where's my round of applause here? You guys were great. This, this is fascinating. Uh, here I we got go. We're doing, we're doing well
2: this morning. This is fabulous.
1: All right, Pianka, what's your third? I name? got another one. He's got more
2: homework for me. Go ahead. Immigrants that's here working because uh-huh. they're doing jobs that Americans can't do, and we don't have Americans to do. They should also pay a sub tax, a tax that goes toward the educating of Americans for those jobs.
1: I want to think about that uh, because I don't buy the concept that Americans won't do them. Americans won't do them, not because they're lazy, not because uh, of all these other reasons that the the bogus government is doing to bring in illegals and the the corporations are doing because they want cheap labor. Americans don't. It's not that they won't do those jobs. They don't do those jobs because they can't live on them. They don't pay enough. You know, and corporations would happily hire. That's what the, the work visas are all about. Derek, if you have to go, I understand. I don't know how much time you have, but, um, but the but the thing is the idea that Americans won't do those jobs. Americans have always done those jobs. Yeah, you know, Mike Rowe when he went well, to dirty jobs. Those that were Americans.
2: That yeah. The so, tax should go toward the educating of Americans.
1: Now, see, I, I think uh, Now you don't you don't work in this country unless you're a a citizen or a, or a legal immigrant. You know, and that, that's, the that ones that
2: the visas. The one that has work visas, and uh-huh. there are. Uh, there are uh, immigrants that come to the United States and work on jobs that Americans don't qualify for. I know
0: those.
2: I know those. Well,
1: to name, a name, a, name a, name but a job like that.
2: What? It's because the you're not trained, they're not trained, You know, Australia, your country, Australia, had a work fair in Texas uh, about a decade or so ago. They was trying to sign up construction. Skilled personnel because Australia don't have them.
1: Well, that's just that's an education problem. Derek, has this?
2: Well, that's what I'm talking about. The surtax should go to toward uh, going toward education to educate Americans for these jobs, and then when this visa expires, these immigrants got to go back home.
1: See, I wouldn't bring them in in the first place. Um, I don't believe
2: in in work visas. Derek, they (laughs) they actually they they
4: do that. Um, You know, I mean they they have. You know, immigrant work visas, Where I mean, I I know this uh, when I was uh, in high school, man, um, you know, in Gulf Shores, Alabama, they used to bring in people from European countries, um, you know, put them in this big house. They would have a work visa for the summer season, um, and, you know, at the end of the summer season, they go back to their country.
1: Yeah, those actually are migrants. That's the definition of a migrant. It comes here for a specific purpose and a job and then goes home. That's what a real migrant right. is. These people are coming in, are not migrants. You know, in
2: my industry in in steel erection, you had, for instance, like in Chicago, United U.S. Steel would call around the country and get members and other locals, as far as St. Louis was, and they would come to Chicago and work on projects like the Sears Tower.
0: Now uh-huh. yeah. they
2: had to pay. They had to pay. A fee, and I can't think of the name of that fee, uh, for being there in that local. They had to pay the normal, then they had to pay that extra that went to that local for whatever specific thing that they want because they was not a member of that local even though they was called in uh, to work in that local. And it was pretty lucrative. Those companies used to pay your travel expense. they pay your room and board and your food.
1: Well, because they were paid.
2: <laughs> they had the money to do it.
1: You know, the, the contract paid that much. But how much, let me ask Derek just before he takes off here, how much of the economy or what would happen if we got rid of all the work visas? There'd be a lot more jobs available. The unemployment would drop because you know, these companies are bringing in. I oh, mean, yeah. how, how much of our workforce is on like H-1 visas?
4: Ooh, oh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a there, there's some kind of data on there how accurate it is. You know okay. what I mean? Like, like a lot of people, <clears throat> golly, I watched this show not too long ago where this uh, they had this Cuban lady that was on there, and she was a, you know, hard left Democrat, and was talking about our immigration policies. And you know, it, she didn't realize that the guy that she was on the talk show with did research on her. And she was like, you know, uh, you're you're all talking about illegal immigrations, and he was like, you're here illegally as well. And she goes, no, mm-hmm. I immigrated here right. And he said, no, he said you came over here on a work visa, and you overstayed your work visa, and then applied yep. for it. He's like, which is illegal. And yep. she was like, well, that's here, you know, that's, and she was starting, trying to, trying to rewrite the laws on the show. And, and he was like, no, 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 no. He said,
0: he says, Who bottom was the reporter? Line is you
4: violated our laws, you know, and yeah. our immigration laws. And he says, and that's exactly what it was, you know, and, and she, you know, after she was caught, refused to, refused to
2: say that.
1: Well, no. Well, you know, they're, they of the it, okay. Yeah. If they do it, it's okay. That's, new, the, that's the, the standard. Yeah. Go ahead, Bianchi. I'm
2: going to Vietnam, error. They had uh, occupational deferments. I had occupational deferments. The industry told the uh, draft board to leave me alone because they needed what I'd done and others done in that particular industry. So, yes, those things do exist because you don't have enough Americans to fill them right. to bring in right. people from other parts of the world.
1: Yeah, wartime is different, sure. though, but uh, I'm glad you got the deferment. I, I never supported Vietnam. Um, you know, that's just, that never made any sense to me. Anyway.
4: Um, And that's 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 another reason we should leave the uh, uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accords because it was France that got us into Vietnam. That's true. Yeah, but France also saved our butt during the
1: Revolution. So during the the War for Independence. So France, we have a a mixed history of France. That
4: doesn't count. That was that was too long ago.
2: (laughs) Too long ago. Yeah, it was ancient history. France has a history of France has a history of starting things they can't finish. Well, that's for sure. Oh yeah, that is a fact,
4: Bianchi. <laughs> that is a fact. If you know your war history, that is a fact.
2: Yeah, just
1: learning about the Franco-Prussian War last night, where where Germany invaded France before they invaded in World War One, before they invaded in World War Two. So yeah. Germany and France don't let's, have a don't take, have a great to, let's,
4: yeah. Yeah, let's take another piece of our history: the French and Indian War. <laughs> uh-huh. See, I don't
1: think a lot of people know a lot about that. I'm not as familiar with yeah. that.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the uh, the the last of the Mohicans. It's like the that movie is is during that whole time period.
1: Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> it's great. Good. You want to talk great about combat movie. scenes? I didn't know how to fight with a, a knife and a tomahawk until I watched Last of the Mohicans. <laughs>
4: Fabulous. That was great. I do got to get Greg. I okay. stayed a little late, man. I got to get on. Yeah. Uh, go appreciate go go. you guys
1: we'll time next Appreciate the yep, time we'll too. Yeah, we'll
2: catch up next week. Take care. All
1: right, thanks, Darren. Have
2: a nice weekend and safe one. Yep. Bye bye.
1: Bye now. Have, yeah, see, I never know. That's why I always give him the option. He's got to go, go. We understand because he's got a business to run, you know, and just we're grateful for the time we have. Yeah, that's a uh, French Indian Wars I'm not as familiar with. Well, tell you what, let me take a break right now and yeah, take a couple minutes here. And then we've got uh, Gail Reddy going to call us at 9 o'clock. We have a local you know, the French Central Indian Rosa...
2: Wars. Wait, hold on. my speech yet? Hold on. They didn't go west of the Mississippi.
1: Oh, the French and Indian Wars. Okay, well let's, let's let's take that up sometime. We should do we should do forgotten wars, Franco-Prussian, French and Indian, the 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 Sino-Russian War, <laughs> you know, the pre-World War One thing. These wars have gone on for for a lot of time. They don't know, people don't notice them because they, they weren't in the movies. Once something gets in the movies, then it becomes real. Which is kind of an interesting contradiction. Okay, so we got a little bit of time now uh, to chat about uh, you know what, what Rush is saying about the pipeline, which is kind of interesting. We're talking about Brandon's test, but then we're going to the top of the hour. We got Gail ready. And so I want to talk about local theater. So for all you folks that are frustrated actors that uh, or want to do something to support your community, one of the best ways you can do both, either act or support your community, is go to your local community theater. And this is a, a great way for people to it's an outlet. It's fun, you know, and you don't have to be in Hollywood. I mean, there's very few of all the actors out there. What is like less than one percent, you know, you know, make a, a fortune doing it. Uh, And they're really good. That's great. That's fine. But, you know, there's a lot of acting, and a lot of fun that you can have in local theater. All right. Play a couple things. It's uh, 8-11 here. I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklo's Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. Conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651 all ask questions and get the information you need florida stores automotive is a full service automotive shop for both domestic and imports modern and classic it is a family-owned business here in our milton community open weekdays from 7:30 to 5 p.m florida stores automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road ask them about firestone tires and the rotation and maintenance plan Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around health care, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grace Care. at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? Okay, so we're back. We've got Pianki on the line. We've got uh, Gail Reddy's going to join us in about forty-four minutes, if I can read my clock correctly. Uh, we sort of covered Brandon's cognition test or the lack thereof. In other words, this Pianki life of the line. I said, you know, you can't find it if you ain't looking. So you know, you yeah, his cognition's fine. You know, well, how do you know? He didn't do a test, exactly. So let's let's talk about the fact that. Uh, and I, I read the Russian press. I got a couple of articles from from uh, Pravda, which is Russian for Truth, talking about uh, how you going go to get out of this one, Brandon you know, prove that you didn't do it. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting accusation coming from Russia. But that's what they're saying. They're saying to Brandon, prove you didn't blow it up. We think you did. Seymour Hirsch says you did. You know, you did. <laughs> prove you didn't. And of course, they're, they're saying it's all false. But I don't, I tend to think that, uh, that Seymour Hirsch has it right, um, that uh, we did it. And why not? We didn't do it. He did it. They did it. Obama did it. And uh, they're trying to blame Russia for blowing up their own pipeline, which is absurd. It was always absurd. Jackie, what do you think?
2: Well, he said he'd done it. He said he's gonna do it. This this uh, Joe Biden has a way of putting his foot in his mouth, hmm. and he has an arrogance about him that goes way back.
0: But, yeah, uh, that's true. That
1: was something else too. the too. I'd forgotten that they were playing the clips of him not uh, of him saying, you know, we're gonna if if Russia invades Ukraine, we're gonna destroy the the Nord Stream pipeline. And then the reporter says, well, how exactly are you gonna do that? which is a great question. You know, so don't worry, we can do it. I said well if you can do it, it probably means you did do it. No one else talked about blowing it up. But uh,
2: another thing too is shows that the best media today is your amateur media. Uh mm-hmm. these media sources, the ones that we have grown to know, NBC, ABC, MSN and all, they ain't worth a damn.
1: Well, that's why I don't use them. You know most and I, quote, I always quote my sources. You know, I, I today I've got Pravda, I've got uh well the, the 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 few domestic sources I like, Washington Examiner, I find particularly good. Uh the New York Post, uh is, is a good local the other ones that broke the, the Biden the laptop story. Uh there are some good things out there, but the traditional biggest sources? No. I'll tell you what's interesting though, uh Fox News better start getting worried because uh Direct knocked off one American news, my my personal favorite. Uh now they've taken off uh, Newsmax. And Fox News thinks that they're not going to be next. <laughs> you know, there's a move to get to make, you know, mono news, you know, government news. So we should, uh, whatever, I actually wrote something down here. Uh, what do I called, oh yeah, direct government TV. <laughs> so that's what it's becoming. It's becoming direct or, or government direct TV. However you want to phrase You're it. Right. You're absolutely right. Fox News. you absolutely right. You know they're they're on the shopping block, and the thing is that they they don't talk about the election fraud, they don't challenge anything, they don't they're not standing up for Newsmax, um, they're you know they're run by a couple of liberal kids of uh, Rupert Murdoch's his
2: liberal sons. You're right. you know, They're just like, they're like the, the sons of. Is, uh, go ahead. Those issues are dismissed, Greg. Yeah. It, it, oh. it, they just dismiss them, and Rupert you know Murdoch saying? is a representation okay. of the deep state.
1: He's Australian too. People forget that uh, Rupert Murdoch's an Australian media mogul who bought Fox. Now, when he was around, they, they, they did pretty well. The, the best was Roger Ailes, who was a former Reagan. Um, I don't know if he was on staff or press secretary or whatever he did. He had other problems though. He, he terrible treatment of women, uh, from what we uh, what we heard before. But otherwise, but as far as media, he definitely knew his stuff. So here's an article from one of those sources that's not
2: as much before, in the mainstream. before you leave, before you leave him. Okay, no, go he, ahead.
0: Isn't his girlfriend
2: wasn't his girlfriend the young girl wasn't she Chinese? You remember when they were trying to throw a, a a cream pie in his face? Somebody was, was protesting and, oh, he, by and she stopped it.
1: I huh? think there were I think there were a couple of women, one of whom was really popular, and I forgot a blonde woman. I I can't think of her name right now, but no, uh, Ma- oh, Megan me? Kelly. Remember, remember Megyn Kelly?
2: I yeah, I remember she her, the... but this lady, this young uh-huh. lady, was Asian, and she had this stern look on her face as if she was part of the CCP. And I bet she was. Could have been. Why not? You
1: know, uh, there's no way to know. In fact, that the news we used to joke about this out in, in California that the news formula for the the standard news team, and they all had this too. It was hysterical. He had the old white guy for for the authority figure, and they had the young Asian hottie, you know, for uh, for for you know attraction. <laughs> It was hysterical. So almost I think every news station in, in San Francisco when I was there, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, had the same thing. They had the old white guy and the young Asian woman. It was hysterical. They all did it. It was a big joke, you know, but uh, that, that was the formula. So, of course, they all follow formulas. That's how it works. So, yeah, this is uh, – let's, let's see what happens with media. Now, the, the, the truly independent sources, I mean, this is why blog talks so good. Yeah, they have a few problems with transmission. Yeah, we get, we get glitches here and there. But they don't bug me don't tell me what to say. They don't tell me what not to say. They leave me alone. And I, as long as I don't cross a couple of really obvious lines that I don't want to cross anyway, you know, threatening public officials, giving out, you know, personal information on public officials that uh, could cause them harm, uh, you know, being overtly hateful and, and uh, completely racist, obviously racist, but they got a Nazi on the show. Not my show, <laughs> but the, the network does. They got a guy, that, Bert. Remember Bert was on a few times? He used to preach uh, you know, national socialism and Nazism and talking about how great Hitler was and all that stuff. He's on the air and he has a right to be on the air. He can say that. I think he's a moron, you know, but he's, he has a right to say it. But they don't bug us. They, this is one of the few places that really does have free speech is Blog Talk Radio. And it's to their credit. You know, I, w- I wouldn't be able to do this on a lot of other places. There was, a, there was not, except for Mike, uh, Mike Bates at uh, WBY, and I applied to over 400 stations over the course of a few years, uh, trying to start action radio somewhere in the country. And I was pretty open. I mean, I didn't want to go to Wyoming because it's cold up there, but if, you know, I would have hated it, <laughs> but I would have done it. I really wanted to, to be where I am, the panhandle of Florida. And I just happened to find the right station. Just happened to be here. You know, thanks God. <laughs> Appreciate the help. Um, but as far as it goes, you know, and then when, when that station was bought out, um, you know, finding blog talk, when a friend of mine directed me, Bill Fecky is the one who directed me over to blog talk. I didn't know how to do internet radio. I didn't know anything about it. And now here we are on our fifth season, you know, and so, but they leave me alone. So if you look at our shows in total, the things that we have talked about in this show, look, we just had two ideas, three ideas for bills. You had one, which I, I think you need to develop more, but I'm going to work on these two. The idea of an inflation debt report per bill, um, plus a robot and artificial intelligence payroll tax. I love that idea. That, that's one of your best ever. That's brilliant, <laughs> you know. But uh, you can't do that on, on a lot of other places. You try to. You know, what, what do you think would happen if I went to a standard news station or a standard talk radio station? I said, Yeah, we're going to write legislation on the air. We're going to do, you know, this and uh, and we're going to let the callers come up with ideas for bills. <clears throat> They'd laugh at me. You can't do that. That's not the formula. That's not how it works. We have consultants. We, in fact, this is this is how I one of the problems I had before. You know, was that the consultants said, you can't do this. Yes, I can. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's okay. No, you can't. You know, we have to follow the format. We have to follow the formula. And this is why a lot of stations didn't hire me. Because they, they had their programs and their consultants and their rating sheets and their advertisers. And there's no new ideas in radio. That's one of the big problems. That's why Fred Jacobs up at uh, uh, Jacobs Media, you know, Hall of Fame radio media analyst. You know, he, he's watching what we're doing down here. Fact, remember that thing I talked about yesterday about applying for, the, uh, for that award for, 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 the, for the, the, the greatest new media? I applied for that last night. You know, this is some serious prize money. Yeah, good. Maybe, <laughs> may, maybe may you'll get fun. Well, well, you know, and I applied under the most creative. I think this is the world's most creative radio show. You know, and I say that freely because nobody does what we do. Nobody combines a legislative service with a radio show. It doesn't happen. And I'll tell you, there's, there's very few uh, uh, operations directors and, and uh, program directors that would let me do it. In fact, almost none. Only, there's only one that I found because one was all I needed. You know, and just happened to be the place I wanted to be. But when the station was bought out, the next owners, they didn't want it. You know, so it's gone. Okay. You know, I'm not going to give up what I do. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but as for new meat, we're it. So let's see if we get the most creative. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Action Radio voted most creative radio network or radio concept in the country well, well i don't know the the deadline's tonight but i got my report and i got my my confirmation there. let me pull it up this might be kind of interesting a little, little off topic but that, okay uh let's see where we go where's my where's my confirmation here i'll tell you exactly what what i applied for let's get that out of the way here where, where's my um i'll find it a second there's so much on my thing oh here we go next challenge ah, i found it Yes, I have an email confirming my application, Action Radio Citizen Legislature, from the 2023 Next Challenge for Media and Journalism. So that's what I applied for. And the, the, it's from the Next Challenge team, uh, and they have got thenextchallenge.com. If anybody wants to look it up, look up thenextchallenge.com. I have applied under, under uh, Top Creator uh, to see if I can win a prize here for Action Radio. That would help fund us here. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be, it's a big prize. Like $50,000 is the grand prize. That would help.
2: Back to you, Bianchi. Well, there's a lot of things that need to be done and need to be changed because the way it's going now is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I can't fathom uh, these Congress people voting themselves about a 20% raise height in the midst of all the other things that's going on as far as the economy mm-hmm. in the nation as it affects people.
1: Well, look at the – remember no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, remember my article I just wrote on the nation of government, you know, proving that Washington, you know, exhibits all the characteristics of an independent country with a series of colonies and basically slaves to support them. I mean, what's the difference between Washington and, and the British monarchy under George III? You know, when, the, when they can tax directly. You know, and that's one of the biggest problems. We have to get rid of that 16th Amendment. You know, if we can put the states between the federal government and the people, the citizenry, as far as collecting money, that's huge. That'd be a massive layer of of things because states can do things, you know, that the federal government, you know, that we can't do as individuals. So that would be a, a, a huge change right there. All right. Let's go ahead. I'm going to change topics here in a second. Yeah,
2: no, I was just going to say, you know, you said it all there in a nutshell.
1: Okay, good. I love it when I do that. <laughs> I'm never really sure, though, you know, because you say things you sort of like wait and see. Does that make sense? I think it made sense. I'll listen to the podcast. All right, so our broadcast is better today. We're not, we're not breaking up like we did before?
2: Yeah, you sound like a newborn.
1: Okay, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all the windows. I've got to keep the windows down uh, on my computer. I got to, and I cleaned out the, the cache. I dumped the history. He had, to, had to sign up for everything again. All right. So here's from WorldNet Daily, one of those sources that is not as much in the mainstream as the sources that are lying to you. And it says Russia demands US prove it didn't bomb Nord Stream pipelines. Now this is this actually is guilty until proven innocent, but that makes sense coming from Russia because that's how they operate. That's how most of the world operates. If the government says you're guilty, you know, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. That's why innocent until proven guilty is such a revolution. It says, we qualify the incident as an act of international terrorism. This is by Bob Unruh, U-N-R-U-H. I wonder if somebody's name, Ru, <laughs> R-U-H, but this is Unruh. Anyway, published February 16th, and so that would be yesterday. It says, it was only months ago that Russia's Nord Stream pipelines uh, to deliver gas to Europe and other points were bombed underwater, putting them out of commission. Now, Russia is demanding that the U.S. prove it didn't do it. This is hysterical. Washington Examiner reported Russia, quote, calls on the United States, unquote, to prove its non-involvement. Quote is, we qualify the incident as an act of international terrorism that requires a comprehensive and independent investigation. And this is Igor Girenko of the Russian Embassy to the U.S. So this is the Russian ambassador. (laughs) It's great. Then he says, it wouldn't hurt if the U.S., which claims the monopoly on the truth, shifted from empty accusations directed at us, in other words, the Russian Federation, to matter at hand, and at least tried to prove it wasn't involved in the destruction of the gas pipeline. Then the article says triggering the demand was a report posted on Substack by famed investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch that Joe Biden actually ordered the bombing, despite Biden's repeated claims that he didn't. Well, Biden lies. Biden's been lying his whole life. Everything about him is a lie. So why wouldn't for, for a sociopathic liar like Biden, this would be no big deal. Remember, we were one of the first to report that. Remember, I found it by accident on citizen free press. I was looking over citizen free press, looking at the stories, looking at the news. And all of a sudden I see Seymour Hirsch says U.S. You know, bombed Nord Stream pipeline. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, so that was on a report a week ago Friday. We, we uh, you know, they, Seymour Hirsch broke the story, but we broke the story that Seymour Hirsch broke the story. We were some of the first to talk about it. Then, of course, it picked up over the weekend. And now it's, it's out there a whole bunch that uh brandon blew up on orders from obama you know i'm sure we haven't traced it to obama yet but that's i'm sure that's where it came from um, in order to well I, i'll tell you what it says here why do you think they did it yankee why do you think that brandon did this
2: probably beneficial yeah well what way though you think
1: well see brandon's not smart enough to do that on, on his own so it had to come from obama what would obama what would the globalists see as a benefit to blowing up the North Stream pipeline?
2: Well, it's still well, as far as Obama's concerned, he may be trying to get back at Putin. But
1: uh Why would you do that?
2: What, what does Obama have against Putin? Y- you probably have you probably have some all big energy that would love to take the place of Russia. And their supply of gas mm-hmm. to European countries is just across the water, right? A short trip.
1: Mm-hmm. And shallow water, too. The Baltic's very shallow. It's only 200 feet deep is where this uh, this pipeline was laid. Well, you've got Norway, which produces natural gas. We produce natural gas. At least we did. Uh, it's like they're they're willing to sell our energy to other places, but they don't want Americans to have it. Um, I still think – and I should have asked Derek about this, too. I still think Your that the Norway
2: leftists want to –
1: was Norway planes uh, in the mix? Well, Norway actually dropped the Sonoboy boy that set off the explosives. Because we there didn't have any go. reason to we didn't have any reason to be there because the the operation the the, the exercise had already ended. So Norway had to do it because they had the planes and they had the uh, the, the need the technologies and they do routine patrol flights over there anyway.
2: So it wasn't it wasn't that. Is there a long is there a long standing strife with Norway and Russia? Remember uh, the I, one gentleman I can't think his name.
1: I think it's more Finland. Lord, what, Finland, Russia because they border. Finland, Finland, and Russia at oh, right war for, for centuries because they border each other. Yeah, I think Nor- you got Finland, oh, okay. then Sweden, then Norway. Now Sweden has a huge military, just for that reason. If the Russians get through Finland, Sweden's next. So Sweden has their own jets. Sweden has a good air force. The Gripen, the the Viggen, and the the Draken. You know, very good fighters. that's Switzerland. I mean Sweden. Excuse me. Sweden makes their own fighters. And the Swedes are. I don't think isn't?
2: Russia wants to. I don't think Russia wants to uh, take over countries. Only if it wasn't these saber rattles about putting missiles. Well, then why the heck did the United States want to put missiles in a country right adjacent to Russia? And then if they tried to do the same thing, you would raise all kind of hell about it.
1: Well, West- you know, that gets yeah that gets back to Obama. So Obama is perfectly happy with us con- continuing the the the, the, the you know, military operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. He never stopped them. He spent eight years maintaining useless, dangerous, deadly um, military uh, operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Why? Because he's a globalist. So the permanent war class and the globalist want us always at war somewhere. So Ukraine serves a function. Ukraine, Ukraine is a money money laundering place. We know that. Uh, we, Josie was the first one to tell us about the biolabs. She says I did not believe it. I did believe it. I just didn't believe that Putin, you know, was going to uh, <clears throat> gather all the evidence. You know, and that's why he went to war. I think he, I think he did this because uh, he was going to do it anyway. Russia's always had Crimea. You know, the times they've lost it, they've they've gotten it back. You know, it's like Alsace Lorraine yeah, in what France. They
2: do it in Crimea to the average American.
1: Well, it doesn't mean a thing. <clears throat> it doesn't. Yeah, you know, most Americans couldn't. Couldn't I can tell you where it is on a map because I've looked. Crimea is actually most attached Americans to...
2: couldn't find China on the map.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's that's because of the government you education know what I like we talked about earlier. Uh huh.
2: I believe in old things. James Bond theme uh, title: Live and Let Die. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a good film.
1: It, it, it was the and only one that Roger we... Moore did well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, why do you want to try to be the sole provider feeder for other nations? Let those nations develop their own economy and mm-hmm. their own infrastructure and so, and so on. Now, if it's something that they can uh, acquire that's better, that you can provide, then that's a reason for trade.
1: hmm yeah, let's let's go back to uh, Ukraine and Russia and a bit. And when you say that Russia didn't take over countries, they didn't take them over and make them Russia. But what they did was they did control. You know, you talked to Hungary and Poland and all these places in Romania uh, that had uh, Czechoslovakia that had communist governments that were Russian-backed communist governments. East Germany under Erich Honegger. I mean, I went to East Germany when it was under Russian control. They ruled. They ruled those countries. But the reason that they did that. Uh, was because they needed the buffer zone from Western Europe. They didn't want to be invaded again by Germany. And this is why the, the site of, and I was reading a, a report on TASS or, or Pravda earlier, that uh, the site of Russian tanks, is, of German tanks with the Iron Cross on the side, is horrifying to the Russians. because a lot of Russians alive today that remember World War II, or at least they remember what their parents told them about it, and they remember you know, a, a lot of what had happened. You know, I heard a staggering statistic that 80% of the men born in 1922 died. Because that would have made them 18 in 1940. So 80% of the Russian men born in 1922 were killed in the war. 80%. Well, Russia of an has An entire a generation. Uh-huh. It,
2: they had a history with a lingering memory. But mm-hmm. it's just common sense that you have this, this thing between capitalism and communism. I mean, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But... I but you can't say Russia didn't take over need- countries.
1: Yeah, you can't say Russia didn't take over countries. Well, United they did, but the they United well, yeah. States does the same thing. The United
2: States supports capitalistic uh, factions in countries also.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a different argument. We're, 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 let's get back to Europe. Let me finish this article here, and then we can we can talk a bit more about it. So just to backtrack a little bit. Uh, Russian ambassadors in the United States says it wouldn't hurt if the U.S., which claims the monopoly on truth, shifted from empty accusations directed at us to the matter at hand and at least try to prove it wasn't involved in the destruction of the gas pipelines. Then Seymour Hirsch, they talk about him. It says triggering the demand uh, was a report posted on Substack by famed investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch that Joe Biden actually ordered the bombing, despite Biden's repeated claims he didn't. Here's where the new stuff comes in. Hirsch, and this is what I didn't know, Hirsch, a Pulitzer Prize winner who uncovered the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam, said an inside source informed him, U.S. Navy divers, last June while operating under the cover of a widely publicized NATO exercise called Ball Tops 22. That would be Baltic Operations, for those of you that don't speak military. Ball Tops 22 in the year nineteen, in the year twenty twenty two, planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines. So in other words, they screwed up. this Who knows? There might be another explosive still down there that didn't go off. Wouldn't that be interesting? Is that the report explains the well, confirmation? Hold on, hold on, let me let me finish the article here. The report explains the fair. confirmation comes from a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. Two of the lines, known as Nord Stream one, were supplying Germany and other points in Western Europe with cheap. Russian natural gas. A second pair, Nord Stream 2, were not. Uh, The White House claimed the report was wrong, but Hirsch reported Biden and his foreign policy team had been hostile to the pipelines for a long time, largely because of the revenue being provided to Russia. He explained Washington viewed the gas supply route to be a way of providing huge profits uh, and funding Putin's agenda. Let me hold up on the quote here. Let me get the point you're going to make, and then I I want to try and keep the continuity here. Uh, going so go ahead. What were you going to say?
2: Well, I was going to say this: if you're in the military and you given an order that you know is wrong, like go in and kill everybody in the village, mm-hmm. you don't have to do it, or you can report on it. Well, why come these divers? They know what they're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Why don't they report them on it? Well,
1: because their orders do it. I mean, the, the military is up on a different standard. Now, I never served in the military. I should have. You know, I think now it would have been interesting, but at the time. You know, I was a Canadian, Australian, American. I <laughs> was all. I was a witch military, uh, and I didn't want. I didn't want to be ordered to go take a hill that made no sense to me. I didn't know I could go in as an officer because I had a college degree. No one ever told me that at the time. Had I known, it might have been different. You know, but uh, I thought everybody started as a grunt. But that, I, I, that,
2: that If if you take an order to go out and blow up a pipeline that you know that will cause an international crisis, possibly a Mm -hmm. war where people will be killed Mm further, then you should report, say, we're getting commands to go do this, and we know it's wrong.
1: Yeah, but the the, the military culture won't do that. You know, they'd they'd be ostracized in the military. They'd be, uh, you know, no one ever talked to them. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's the right thing to do. Like me lie was the right thing to do, but I don't think it was reported on by the military. I mean, I don't know who informed, but somebody, somebody informed. Well,
2: they, uh, that. the military person, those virus could have uh, their mm-hmm. secret news contact, provide them with mm-hmm. as much evidence as they, that they can. I mean, it's not well, a might, way to do it.
1: But it might but be What a do they call You don't it, know. Whistleblower? Huh? Whistleblower?
2: Yeah, whistleblower. Isn't is it whistleblower law to protect that?
1: Yeah, but you don't understand. But like I say, the military culture, they'd never get a promotion. They'd never, you know, these people would be, uh, they'd be effectively useless. They'd never be deployed. The 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 uh, retribution would be, uh, you know, horrible. Now you don't know that the person that supplied Seymour Hersh with the information they could be a diver. You don't know. He's keeping it quiet, well, so he's protecting I do, somebody. I don't
2: know, but I think that uh, uh, people should take on those moral standards. If they don't, then all we're doing is just Easter egg hunting, uh, hunting for the proverbial needle in the haystack. That's all
1: it no, is. I know
0: it going around
1: and around the business. Yeah, no. No, I, I think the, the real, the thrust of this article, is, and I've read this from different, I, I checked out the Asian press, I checked out some of the other uh, different countries, and this story is worldwide. It's not so much here, but this is a big story. So let me continue on here. Uh, and and this I is, agree this with is a quote.
0: Statements.
1: Yeah, this is so hurt. This is, He's quoting Hirsch now. Yeah, I think, I think it's true too. I think it's absolutely true that, that Brandon did it because he had the most interest in doing it, or at least Obama did. We just got to sort of identify those so people, you know, keep up and see what we're talking about. So the article says, he said Nord Stream 1 was dangerous enough in the view of NATO and Washington, but Nord Stream 2, whose construction was completed in September of 2021, would, if approved by German regulators, double the amount of cheap gas that would be available to Germany and Western Europe. The second pipeline would also provide enough gas for more than 50% of Germany's annual consumption. Oh, it's huge. Tensions were constantly escalating between Russia and NATO, backed by the aggressive foreign policy of the, I'm going to say, Brennan insurrection. Huh. Biden, in fact, had publicly threatened earlier to make this, to make sure the pipeline was halted. So there we go. There it is. I got more. I guess that's basically it on this story.
2: So, you now, know, uh, yeah. uh-huh. Russia could do the same thing as to mm-hmm. blow up a U.S. pipeline or blow up a uh, uh ocean cable telecommunication cable it's just one thing after the other
1: well if you're russia okay what's what's in your best interest here let's, let's 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 think like putin putin's very strategic he's actually being very restrained in in ukraine they waited a long time to build up their forces i mean you know ukraine's had every chance to negotiate uh, a peaceful settlement and, and and like you know, they make Israel give land for peace, right? So we should we should be making Ukraine give land for peace too, or just leave them alone, let Eastern Europe and Russia figure this out, which is which is my solution. But uh, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, you can't pressure Israel to give up land for peace and and not uh, and, and say that Ukraine can keep everything they have, you know, the standard, double standard. Well, is
2: you incredible. know what the mm-hmm. you know what the reward is? Ukraine will set up a puppet government, just like they've done in Libya. And then they will see aid, And the aid will go to doing mm-hmm. everything before this it's just like African countries. African countries run up debt, borrowed from the IMF and the World Bank. Then at right. some point in time they started asking for debt forgiveness, which mm-hmm. they are awarded. Okay, mm-hmm. we write we would write the slate clean. Well, within a matter of time they've ran the debt back up again. Of course. And the conditions Continue. Oh, did
1: you go away? Oh, no, well, I'm still here. Oh, it sounded like you muted yourself for a second. Okay, yeah, uh, it's, it's like Congress borrowing money. You've got to take away their power to borrow money because they're, they're obsessed little children. They, they they can't control themselves. They want, therefore, they should You're have.
2: Absolutely right. Yeah. All these things are still going on. The blacks mm-hmm. still live in deprived conditions. They still talking about welfare uh, more uh support for more money for public schools more money for teachers and the product mm-hmm. is the same they still Much talking worse. about aid to dependent children uh, well yep. we're about the damn the damn fathers i mean it just goes on and on and on and uh, increase the minimum wage at the same time what uh you was able to all try momentarily mm-hmm. have increased Back the square one all over again.
1: Well, and this is how countries destroy themselves. You know, so we have to convince a majority of people that freedom actually is a better course, even though it does require some work, that work is better than welfare, that uh, you know, we are a nation and we need a bunch of nationalists to support our nation. And then we need to fix our nation. Anyway, let me, let me give this. This is from Pravda. So this is, Pravda is Russian for truth. So this is a Russian source, Pravda, from Lulko, L-U-L-K-O who says Germans will remove Schultz from politics for Nord Stream Blast. Schultz, S-C-H-O-L-Z, is the German Chancellor. So this says German Chancellor Olaf Schultz knew in advance about U.S. resident Joe Biden's plan to punish the German people by exploding the Nord Stream Pipelines. Remember, this is from Russia. This is a Russian source of information. I find it fascinating. So Joe Biden's plan is to punish the German people by exploding the Nord Stream Pipelines. This knowledge will lead to Schultz's political death. It is not ruled out that the sitting German chancellor will be put on trial on courts of state treason. This is serious stuff, you know, but you're not hearing about this in American press because they don't care about Germany. It says Germany says nothing about Nord Stream Blast. Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalist Seymour Hersh. This is a Russian publication, right? So they know about Hersh too. Journalist Seymour Hersh exposed the role of the CIA and President resident, excuse me, Joe Biden, in person in blowing up three of the four branches of the Nord Stream Gas Pipeline. Now, have you heard the CIA involvement in this? Russia says there is. We yeah, US Navy divers. Yeah, I would Navy think divers. the
2: CIA would be involved in those things yeah. that they do.
1: Okay. It makes sense that they would be involved, too. So the CIA, obviously, were the military. The military planted the demolition charges on the pipeline. Uh, they set fuses that could be blown up by a son boy Norway drops the Son of boy three months later to provide plausible deniability. The pipelines blow up and everybody starts playing the quote that Brandon says he was gonna do it anyway. Idiot. But what's interesting is that uh
2: fits in the scriptures that was published in a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman and the guy's name was Perkins.
0: Hmm.
1: Confessions of an economic hitman, I'll have to take a look at that. Let me write that down here. Confessions. When was it written?
2: The author's name is Perkins, if I remember. I don't remember his first name. <laughs> but it talks about uh, the things that uh, we discuss and the course of events that we witness.
1: Huh. Okay. Well, let's um, let's go through this article because it is kind of interesting. We got a few minutes before Gail joins us, so we're talking about the CIA, Brandon. Obviously, the deep state. Russia doesn't, I don't think they talk about a deep state in this. But again, this is from Pravda. It says Seymour, that's Seymour Hirsch linked the U.S. motive to the following. This is why Russia thinks we blow up their pipeline. He says the need to cut Russia's commercial benefits by increasing those of its own. That'd be us. Exclude Germany's dependence on cheap Russian energy to ensure Berlin supports Ukraine in the conflict with the Russian Federation. So those are the two main reasons. One, need to cut money to Russia. And because uh, they're blaming, you know, Putin, I mean, Brandon is blaming Russia for our gasoline prices when he shuts off our pipelines uh, and sells our Strategic Petroleum Reserve. You know, I think they're trying to get rid of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I think they're going to draw it down until there's nothing left. So the leftists will be happy that we're not using, quote, fossil fuels, you know, to run our economy. Unbelievably stupid. Anyway. So, but exclu- the second part here is interesting. Ex- Germany's dependence on cheap Russian energy—they even call it cheap Russian energy—that's fascinating. To ensure Berlin supports Ukraine in the conflict with the Russian Federation, now how would that do that? Why would why would blowing up the pipeline, denying Germany cheap Russian energy, why would that entice Berlin to engage in the Euro- in the Ukraine conflict? I don't see the connection there.
2: Well, Germany is supplying mechanizations to ukraine too so you know all this stuff is negotiable is use to hold a cloud over the other side's head you know like uh, the taliban and afghanistan and the war between russia and afghanistan was the uh not afghanistan but the uh what was it who was russia fighting over there in afghanistan Hey, not too long Oh, the Mujahideen? Not too long ago. Mujahideen. You no, know, United States what? just got through fighting. The Taliban, uh, al-Qaeda, one of the two. But oh, the I United see. States supplied, back. Yeah. supplied logistics to them when they were fighting Russia, and Russia supplied it to them when they were fighting the United States. I mean, that stuff <laughs> goes back and forth. Oh, yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah,
1: so the Mujahideen, that's that's where, where we discovered Osama bin Laden. So Osama bin Laden was, was funded and military armed by the United States when Osama bin Laden was fighting Russia. So now the, now whether you call it ISIS or the Taliban or the Mujahideen or whatever the group name, you know, the, 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 the Contras, <laughs> you know, names keep changing, right? Um, it's the same thing. So when, when Russia is in a country, we, we supply their rebels. When, when we're in a country, Russia, Russia supplies their rebels. Same problem. But listen to this. Listen, now, here's one, something that, I, that I've wondered about. As I'm reading, I'm thinking about this. Why don't Germany and Russia get together and fix the damn pipeline? Wouldn't that be interesting? It's not that deep. I don't know what the German the Navy has, but uh, they could probably contract with somebody. You know, maybe the, the Dutch have a pretty good Navy. Maybe they can pay the Dutch to fix it. Someone can get down. It's not feet down. It's not that deep. Or, or what they do is have Russia shut off the pipeline, uh, shut the gas to it. They they take out the sections that were blown up, replace them with new sections, reattach it, and start the gas flowing again. Why not?
0: Jackie?
2: Well, that's the big deal. Russia still got the gas to provide with them. All
0: hmm.
2: they all that happened was you had a big disconnect that can be reconnected, and things go on as normal.
0: Hmm. But the See, thing is, is,
2: that who the heck? Why would why would uh, Biden and who's uh, pressuring Biden to? To do what he done, and I'm saying that you have gas companies, a companies here that say, would like to sell or ship gas to Germany.
1: See, the Germ- Germany's problem is their wacko environmentalists got them away from natural gas, got them to uh, you know uh, they didn't like their their uh, their fo- any of their or, excuse me organic fuels, and they, I know they didn't like nuclear. So Germany's tried to get wind and solar, which of course is you know ancient technology. Uh, and it's not really efficient and you don't need it anyway. And there's nothing wrong with putting carbon into the air. We need carbon in the air. So the plants will feed us, <laughs> you know, but here's the question too. What now, if I were Russia, if I were Putin, here's what I do. I just, I just thought of this as we were talking, I would demand that Brandon pay to fix the pipeline. That's what I would do. What do you think?
2: I agree with you. Good idea.
1: Yeah. So if I was sitting in Putin's office, if I was advising Russians,
2: if I, if I was there in, in
1: Kremlin, I would be saying, Putin, dude, here's what you need to do. You need to make U.S. pay for reparations, and you need to make them, make them fix it, too. So if I were Putin, what I would do is I would demand that Benden not only pay to fix the pipeline, but that, that the divers that blew it up actually go down there and fix it. Now maybe that wouldn't work as well because they, they may actually sabotage it and blow it up again. So maybe that wouldn't work. Maybe they just get the money. Now, let me put it that way. So Putin's strategy is going to be he's going to demand that the U.S. pay to have it fixed. He's going to work with Germany and maybe they'll hire, you know, some other folks to fix it. They're going to take out the old pipeline. Because I don't think that much of it was blown up. I think it's a very small section. And again, it's not that deep, 250 feet. It's not like it's down seven miles like the Mariana's Trench. So all they have to do is – And now, here's the question. Do you think Brandon would pay it? What if it goes to the international court? What if they take it to the U.N.? Or they take it to the world court in The Hague? And, and Russia has a claim on their – and they've got a real claim that, you know, it's already been reported that uh, that Brandon blew it up and that Russia should be able to get uh, reparations for it so it's repaired. That would be funny.
2: You know, it reminds me of the days of the stories about Admiral Perry. And I can't tell you what his first name was, but his basic premise was that – Gaylord? Uh, the, no, different guy. No, Gaylord Perry was a pitcher. I'm teasing uh, you. <laughs> But no, his premise was that the United States have to go into these other countries and go into their markets. That's the same premise of China's Silk and Belt Road. Yeah. And they want to create a, uh, a infrastructure where Chinese-made mm-hmm. products can infiltrate these markets, and they're doing a, yeah. a good job. At-
1: Wait, see, that's wrong. We should, uh, we should tax the hell out of Chinese goods. Again, so especially American companies working there, so it costs as much to produce there as it produces here. Level of playing field. Let me finish this article. This is, this is quite interesting. Let's see what happens. Let's see if Putin comes out and demands that, I, you know, that I think he's going to do it, I mean, just, just because I think it's a neat idea, that, that Putin's going to demand that Brandon pay for the pipeline to be repaired. So even if we don't, it's a great political point. He's got nothing to lose by saying it. And then he can demand reparations for Ukraine. Oh, this could be hysterical. All right. So the article says there's no progress in the investigation of the case. Allegedly, German investigators did not find convincing evidence of anyone's involvement in the attack. Well, again, that's the cognitive test. They didn't look. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it says the main victim of the sabotage, Germany, responded to Hirsch's article only five days later. German officials only said that they had no information on the matter. Right. Interestingly, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, has never commented on the article either. You remember, remember Sergeant Schultz in, in uh, Hogan's Heroes? I know nothing. I see nothing. <laughs> so, oh, Sergeant Schultz uh, running Germany right now. He's got some problems. Then it's like three monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Kerry. No say, evil. Uh, see no evil. Speak no evil. Exactly. Yeah. So Sergeant Schultz. Sorry to my German listeners, I apologize. I mean, Hogan's Heroes did not go over well in Germany. I mean, who makes a comedy about a prisoner of war camp? That was risky enough. <laughs> but it always made Germans look bad. We're in a Klemper. You remember the guy that played Colonel Klink? He's a decent actor. I think his brother is a, is a symphony conductor. Uh, Otto Klemper uh, conducts, conducts some fabulous, like the Berlin Philharmonic. So he has got it comes from a pretty you know, high up aristocratic German family, which is kind of interesting. And here he is starring in, in a comedy about German prisoner of war camps. That must have gone over well with the with the Klemperer family. Anyway, let me finish the article. I got about five minutes. Schultz knew about Biden's plans in advance. Maximilian Kra, that's K R A H, and i M E P. I'm not sure what that is. Probably a German parliament member accused Schultz of knowing of the USA's plans in advance. He says it is certain that the German government was informed of the sabotage beforehand by the Americans. This is the only explanation for Schultz's awkward silence. With the addition of a woke and irresponsible warmonger like Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock, that's B-A-E-R-B-O-C-K, who declares that Germany is at war with Russia, <laughs> nothing surprises me. So this is, according to him, Germany's refusal from Russian energy sources rips Germany's refusal from Russian energy sources, there we go, rips the German economy to pieces and impoverishes Germany significantly. Moreover, the billions that Germany spent on this gas project have been wasted and it makes no difference to Germany's ruling coalition. See, Germany has a claim on that pipeline too, because they were getting the gas, so they can they can seek reparations for the for the uh, the resources lost, the cost of the pipeline, plus the energy they've lost, uh, and plus the damage to the economy. They got a massive lawsuit here. I wonder who's going to take this one on? <laughs> don't go to our justice department. There's no such thing. Uh, where I said that. Okay, so in an interview with the German uh, newspaper Berliner Zeitung seymour hirsch supported the german mp yeah isn't it so so seymour so this is this is the cool thing about reading foreign sources hirsch is going around the world giving interviews on this article right you don't hear about that here here's another quote from Hirsch. He says i would ask chancellor schultz a lot of questions i would ask him what he learned in february when he met with uh, resident biden the operation was top secret and resident biden was not supposed to tell anyone about our abilities but he likes to chat. This is what you were saying earlier, Pianki. He likes to chat and he sometimes says things he shouldn't say. <laughs> then it says, according to the journalist, the people who led the sabotage believe that Biden was aware of what he was doing to the people of Germany, that he was punishing them for a war that was not going very well. Biden feared that Germany would pedal back on the sanctions against Russia because of the cold winter. And that's from Hirsch again. Then it says Schultz signs his own sentence. We're almost done with the article. It just so happens that Schultz, Followed the American interests to the detriment of, his, of the interests of his own people, industry and economy by drawing Germany into a war with the Russian Federation. Germans don't want this. Trust me. Germans know what war with Russia looks like. Okay. Anyway, then he says, one may of course recall Germany's colonial dependence or dependence on the United States or secret protocols of obedience to Washington that every German chancellor signs upon taking office. This is new. This I didn't know. So let let me focus on this for a couple minutes and then then, uh, we'll pick this up Monday. It says, one may, of course, recall Germany's colonial dependence on the United States. This would be the Marshall Plan after World War II, maybe. He says, colonial dependence on the United States or secret protocols of obedience to Washington that every German chancellor signs upon taking office. What the hell is that, Pianki? I've never heard this. German chancellors have to sign obedience to Washington. In yeah,
3: in, you don't cons- know what's in
1: as the a treaty. Well, was that part of the Marshall Plan? Now I'm getting now you I got a Monday the, show, I, right there. That one's I got a Monday know. show based on that. One of the
2: best things that you could ever do is bust a treaty wide open, and take a look, and see what's in it.
1: Huh, huh. This this is probably Monday show. Then it says, however, going against the interests of today's divided Germany is equal to signing a political death sentence. A trial can also be possible. German companies may file lawsuits. I bet they do. So I don't know what the German lawyers are like or whether the German legal system is well, like. Where are they but going to file they... the
2: lawsuits at?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question. Where are they going to file the lawsuits at? This is why this is so intriguing. All right, Gail's on the line. Gail, just hang on. I will get you in just a, just a second. I want to finish this, uh, this article here. I don't know where she has an opinion on this, Our a theater person. Anyway, it says, it is no coincidence that Schultz's party showed a devastatingly poor result in Berlin. Yeah, no kidding. Where elections to the Landtag, I guess that's the parliament, were held on Sunday. The opposition CDU, probably Christian Democratic something, won the elections, having gained almost 30% of the votes against 20% of Schultz's SPD. Socialist Party, something or other. Der Spiegel called SPD's defeat a historic one, noting that the party showed its worst result in Berlin in the history of Germany. Yeah, Germans are pissed off at this. He says the Berliners are fed up with the green dictatorship. In other words, getting rid of all their energy, right? They are fed up with the war of cyclists against motorists. (laughs) Yeah, ride a bicycle everywhere. With the collapse of infrastructure, they are fed up with the impunity of Arab clans in the capital. That's interesting. With disorderly bureaucracy, devastation at schools and social institutions. Well, we've got that. With uh, attempts to expropriate real estate, well, we got China taking that. In short, the Berliners crave change. German political scientist Alexander Rahr, Rahr wrote in his Telegram channel: "Last quote. His rating at the federal level is falling. In Germany, as well as throughout Europe, there are many crises that the government is coping with great dif- is coping with great difficulty. Well, that's kind of tame. I mean, it's German restraint." This is fascinating. I want to find out about these obedience things, and I want to. I want to I'm going to look into. Uh, I have to get some German news sources. I have to get like the Berlin Daily or whatever their whatever their thing is. Pianki, closing comment on this. We're going, to, we're going to pick this up Monday. We're not done. <laughs> this is, I want to know about these obedience things that the German Chancellor signed to the United States.
2: Yeah, you
1: the to, to finds this. Well, actually, that'd be their version. Anyway, last last comment, Pianki.: As far as
2: treaties are concerned, uh huh. The devil is in the details.
1: Well, yeah, and everything's in the fine print. And that's how it goes. So let me get our our guest of the day, and I'll be right back. It is Gail Reddy. Hope I pronounced that right. We'll find out in a minute. Anyway. I've wanted to do the show for a while, and it took a little a little doing, but we have Gail from the Santa Rosa uh, County Community Theater. Now, I have a little theater experience myself, and you know, I was in musicals in high school, I got a lead in one, and I uh, uh, had chorus parts for a couple of others, uh, a couple of plays, so I love theater. And community theater, I think one of the best things people can do uh, is get involved in your local community theater, because what, less than 1% of the actors actually make the, the A-list in Hollywood. Gail, welcome to the show, how are you doing?
3: I'm good, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, let's give you a round of
0: applause. <laughs> we, okay. we do this
1: for our new guests, but uh, being a theater thank person. Thank you. Now- Oh, you're very welcome. Now, have you acted personally? Do you have a theater background yourself? What's, uh, what's, well, just take some time. Tell us your story. Who are you? And welcome back to Radio.
3: My story is that um, I was in a divorce support group about 30 years ago when one of um, the other members in the group approached me and said, I'm going to auditions tonight at the local community theater, and I don't want to go alone, so you go with me. And I said, okay, I sure will. So we march up there, and it's a musical, Oliver. Probably everyone knows Oliver. And um, we audition. We Mm -hmm. sing a very simple happy birthday song. We Mm. get cast. And Mm. basically, it's a big cast, so they're looking for warm bodies. Mm -hmm. And it was my very first experience in theater. The director, who was New York trained, and to this day, I look up to him. Wow. um, We're rehearsals, and he says, um, giving us notes, he looks us over and says, I'm going to need more volume, except for some of you, <laughs> as he looks directly into my eyes, and uh, that was then, I knew that my children had been right all along, I just can't sing, but I enjoyed the experience, and I've been doing it ever since.
1: Well, you do plays, you don't have to have musicals, but musicals are fun.
3: They are fun. Um, They cost more to produce. So um, Mm -hmm. our little theater is not doing musicals yet. We hope to do that someday. Um, We are the only community theater in the county, in Santa Rosa County, and have been uh, working consistently for about 20 years now. And we do mostly comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. We sprinkle in a drama here and there. And, um, at least once a year, we do a show that like at children and, and done by children. And hmm. we have um, been doing a Christmas themed show every December.
1: So. Well, see, this sounds like fun. And I, and I think I've passed by your place. You're up there by Winn-Dixie <clears throat> right there on, we, uh, well, tell us where you are.
3: We are at 5410 Dogwood Drive in Milton and, um, we sit in front of a uh, Winn-Dixie Plaza. Um, as you're heading north on Dogwood, uh, you can't miss that big Winn-Dixie. We're just before you get there. And we've been there for a little over a year. Uh, we are a small and, and I mean, intimate theater. Uh, mm-hmm. we How many audience? Capacity, uh, yeah. Well, our total capacity is about 50 people right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are working toward increasing capacity. And um, look forward to being able to seat um, maybe twice as many people as we're seating now. So uh, okay. it's, uh, it's been a real time of growth this last year moving in there.
1: Well, I had a question. And, and for those folks that are listening around the country and around the world, too, because we have a lot of folks in Europe and uh, especially in the English-speaking world, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and, uh, okay. and the U.K., <clears throat> they all have okay. uh, theater. I mean, theater is huge in England. And so, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so this is fabulous. You know, you look at Lawrence Olivier and the whole English tradition. The, the English really support their arts. They support their music. French do, too. A lot of countries do. yeah uh, So this is fascinating. Yeah. But around the United States, I think sometimes that, uh, you know, don't complain about not being an actor. You didn't make it to Hollywood. Go find your local community theater. A, you still make it discovered But B, acting's fun. <clears throat> I might do it myself. In fact, I was thinking as, as you were talking, um, I used to play tuba. And so if you need a, a pit mm-hmm. orchestra tuba player, you know, maybe I can. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice for the end of the week. Here. Oh. Um, but I have to rent one. <laughs> you know, because I, I I'm oh. a guitar player now. Maybe I could mean, play guitar. I will keep music.
3: your number. I will keep. Yeah, your you number. never know. You yeah, come by an audition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No,
0: you I
1: should I get, come get, by an, an
3: audition
0: for.
1: It. Well, I was thinking of that because I got three hours of performance every day, every weekday. You know, doing the show. Yeah. So I'm kind of yeah. used to it. Maybe I could play a radio person. That'd be funny. And now, radio personality Greg Pungles, so, plays a radio personality for Santa Rosa Community Theater. Hey, I've got a face for <laughs> radio and a voice to match.
3: <laughs> you could Was do it, that. That is a possibility.
1: It would be interesting. Yeah. But, uh, well, I haven't thought about it for a while, but now that now that you're there,
3: hmm. Yeah, uh, we have a really cool theater too. We try to uh-huh. make everyone who comes comfortable. Um, our uh-huh. seating is. Push. We have, you know, we'll greet you at the door and show you where the coffee bar is. And uh, wow. we have a little wine bar and other concessions and um, try to make everyone feel uh, like they've come to their home theater. Um, it, it's just a wonderful outlet for everyone who's there acting and directing and doing costumes mm-hmm. or dressing the set. But it's also such a wonderful getaway for just a couple of hours to go out of your own reality and everything that's going on around you and just go and have some fun, maybe a lot of laughs, uh, maybe sit in on a drama occasionally. And um, I think most wonderful thing about the theater is that it does take you out of the everyday and give you that little rest. But, but there's always, always a learning experience too. every play, Uh even the, even the Neil Simon comedies, like the one we're doing coming up last of the Red Hot Lovers, they all have uh, messages, and you can leave a community theater or any theater uh, and you're thinking you're maybe thinking differently about things that you you know beliefs that you've held for years, feeling more enlightened, or maybe you're just learning facts, but um, there's so much to appreciate about theater i I wish more people would just give it one shot buy that one ticket you know get online at onthestage.tickets and look for Santa Rosa Community Theater come see one show and your whole thinking about theater might just change
1: interesting do you are there any professional actors or or folks that are that are destined for I don't know maybe the whatever regional movies are produced or things like that or is it just mostly just regular folks who just love what they're doing or is it both
3: Well it, it is it is um people who love what they're doing of course this is not something that everyone can do and we realize that um mm-hmm. it's it's scary to get up there and expose yourself even though you're you're delivering we have to expose a ourselves? character
1: What? Yeah, not know that was part yeah. of the show. What you doing hair? Oh
3: yeah and you <laughs> No you get <laughs> and and you don't get paid any extra for it either (laughs) oh my goodness no but it's a difficult thing to do so we we know that not everyone can do it but uh Mm but we invite you to do that of course so
1: i just had an idea for you for how you guys can make some money uh corporate team events corporate team events okay the biggest problem uh, that people have. I'm, I'm trying to write and talk at the same time. Uh, the biggest fear that people have is public speaking. So if you go to corporations oh, yeah. around here, if you go to corporations and say, "Look, we have a we have a theater workshop that'll help your your uh, your middle managers speak better at events and uh, you know discussions and meetings and things like that," offer up a service. Offer to have them do some some plays, uh, do some scenario stuff, do some uh, get out there in public, and uh, uh, I think you could, this might be a huge fundraising thing for you. What do you say? Well,
3: I think that's a great idea. I, I think it's a much-needed um, service. Okay. I have to workshop at the theater, have them come in there or or, mm-hmm. or maybe go to – you know, I'll have to look into that. But um, Yeah. You know, we're all, Morgan all in Morgan, here. Morgan
1: and Morgan. Uh, Correct. Levin Pompantonio and, uh, you know, let's get the car dealerships, you know, let's get them actually, uh, (laughs) because they already know how to act. (laughs) Yeah. Trust me. They
3: know how to act. Maybe they can teach the workshop. um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they could. Maybe they could. Um, But once we tell them that we're all volunteers, we don't get paid anything. um, Uh I don't know. They may change their minds, but, but to uh, finish answering your question, it's not just people who love what they're doing Um, it is very talented actors I have worked with over this last few decades some of the most talented actors you just wouldn't believe it until you see it you walk into our little theater and you think well this is small you know what 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 could go on here and then you see some of the productions that we do and you realize that talent is everywhere and um, you know some of these people also dabble in independent films and that sort of thing, teach acting. Um, we do children's camps. We have one coming up in March, um, and all of this can be found on our Facebook page. We have links there. Um, Which is but, where? Uh, What's it
1: called? Uh, thank, Let's get the information
3: uh, yeah. out. Yeah, Santa Rosa Community Theater Facebook mm-hmm. page, and you uh, you'll find information on this upcoming children's camp, our upcoming productions. You'll find the link to On the tickets, where you can purchase tickets for our events and our productions. Uh, but we have so many talented people come out. And it's to be admired because many of these people work full-time jobs and still mm-hmm. find the time and energy to come in there and learn, you know, like a ton of lines. And develop characters, I mean, truly flesh them out and mesmerize an audience for a couple of hours. It's well worth the ticket price.
1: Oh yeah, it's an experience too, and it's it's live, you know. And the nice thing about live theater, uh, it's like live radio. (laughs) You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. This is, I mean, this is purely spontaneous. This is an unrehearsed conversation. Gail and I have never talked before, Uh, and so this is what. And I don't edit, so whatever happens happens. You know, this is kind of how it goes. Uh, Same with theater. You know, there's no retake. You know, when you're out there in front of the audience, you know, you. and if something goofs and someone gets out of character or a line gets dropped and you have to fill in stuff. I remember in high school, every, every once in a while someone would forget a line. And we'd, uh, we'd, we'd improvise or we'd do something you know, to keep the show. The show must go on. Right? Yeah, and this is a good metaphor Absolute. for life. The, the show must go Absolute. on. So you got to keep going. Yeah, what do you think?
3: Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I've, in 30 years, I've never seen a play or I've never been involved in a play. I knew exactly what the script was, that it was followed to the letter near impossible to make sure that nobody drops a word or a line. Um, But you can, as you say, pick each other up, support each other. You become a team when you do a play together. And Mm -hmm. I always say when I'm directing, which I love doing and have been doing that for about 20 years now, I, I always say to my actors, just remember, the audience doesn't know what you're supposed to say. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. It sounds kind of it sounds kind of silly, but it's absolutely true. If you have to paraphrase or you drop a word here and there, they're still going to love you. They want you to succeed. They want yes, you they to do. be great. Yep. That's why they're yeah. there.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I've, I I um, I'm playing in yet another rock band, hoping to uh, get one into the clubs here. And we talk about this too. You know, if if you're playing a uh, because uh, most bands are cover bands, we play other people's stuff because it's hard to play right. original because no one knows who you are. So you have, to, and every band starts as a cover band playing other people's stuff. But the question is, how much do you stick to the original? And so we, we talked about this all the time. There's some songs where you want to do it exactly as they do it. Uh, and there are other songs where, you know, cause I improvise a lot on guitar and you know I have to keep telling myself, they don't know what I'm going to play. So if I don't know what I'm yeah. going to play, it's okay. Cause nobody knows what I'm going to play at that point. And as long as it sounds good, you know, who cares? Cause no one can remember the notes of the original artist that well anyway. Um, but there's a lot of guitar players that want to copy exactly, you know, the way somebody else did it. And even those musicians don't do it the same way. They always change the live performances are never like the recordings. And nobody cares, you know, but people think that they should copy exactly. So I wonder if that applies to actors too. Do you find that, uh, I mean, how much can people bring their own personality to a role or do they watch somebody else doing it on video? In other words, if you're doing like a, like a Shakespeare thing, I don't, I don't think you do Shakespeare, but if you're watching Laurence Olivier, hey, do you have to speak in that same accent as Laurence Olivier? Do you have to have the same drama <laughs> to your voice? Do you have to include all the things that Laurence would include? You know, if you sound like this, you can do the part two. Okay, fine. If I'm going to play Spartacus and I sound like this, what am I going to do? That's just the way it is. Okay, fine. (laughs) Sorry.
3: No, the answer is absolutely not. Um, I would say that if you give a script to a hundred different actors and even a hundred different directors and Mm -hmm. you say, okay, this is the production we're, we're going to be doing, you would get a hundred different shows and a hundred different characterizations. And I, I say, you know, there used to be this thing about actors are kind of dumb, you know, that is, that's far from the truth. You have to be smart to learn these lines. You have to be bright to understand these nuances and how to flesh out a character and make it make this person seem real to the audience so mm-hmm. absolutely, when you are cast in a role, you should be given some um, Some license you should be able to bring some of you I think that bringing some of you to any role makes that role more believable And and the audience wants to believe what they're watching Um, When you're directing a play you may interpret it in a much different way than every director before you has Um, My my husband at the time Directed Glass Menagerie. I don't know if you're familiar with that play. It's a Tennessee yeah, I've read them, home. but uh,
1: most of the plays got destroyed in my mind because I had to read them rather than see them. And I think that's one of the big problems so, with school. Stop reading plays. Yeah. Watch them. So, <laughs> They're meant to be seen live. <laughs> what do you think about that?
3: Yeah. 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 He writes all this intense stuff, mm-hmm. but um, for some reason, my husband decided that he wanted to pass just a little bit of humor in there, you know, a hmm. little bit. There's very little in that play. But he looks at things differently, puts a little bit different spin on them. And mm-hmm. when they re- the play was reviewed, it was very well received. And people enjoyed it because sometimes you just need a different set of eyes to realize how you can improve something that someone's done differently for many, many mm-hmm. years.
1: Okay. Yeah, and and you don't want to be so stuck. It's like when I improv a different solo or or, or things like that. Mu- music's more my world. That's what I'm much more familiar with. Okay. But how how strictly do you stick with? I'm sorry, what were you saying?
3: Nothing.
1: Okay, oh, thought, you know I I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> it's an occupational <laughs> hazard. So if I, if I if I step on anything, you say please. You know don't don't be shy about letting me know. But in the music world. You know, and that's always a question of, uh, you know, again, how close do you stick to it and and can you play things completely different? Some things I play very different than other people because everybody has their own style. You can't, you know, some things that are easier for one guitar player are are completely impossible for another. So why are you copying them? You know, write something that you can play. And it's just, but someone, go ahead.
3: No, I was just going to say that um, when we secure the rights to a play, let's say we're doing Last of the Red Hot Lovers. It's opening in March. Uh, Neil Simon wrote that play. Um, Mm -hmm. He spent many, many hours doing that. And we chose it because we think it deserves to be produced here and that people will enjoy it. Mm. When we pay for the rights to do that and we pay for every performance that we do, we pay a set amount of money for Mm -hmm. that performance. And... We are saying when we secure those rights, we will take Neil Simon's script and we will produce it in its entirety. We're not going to jump out there and say, you know, he could have delivered this line a little bit better. Maybe maybe I'll change this one up and that one up and maybe I'll tone this down a little bit here. We are saying we respect this artist. We respect what he has uh, created here and this Mm -hmm. is what we're going to produce now some plays will allow you um, some leeway they'll say um, if you would like to change the location here if you would like to change the name of the town so and so we can take some liberties like that but as a rule we're producing what we said we would produce and that's one of the things that uh, that we pretty much promised to do legally promised to do when we take on a play now if it's a local writer and we have um a number of local writers who have contributed um if oh, we wanted to make yeah if we wanted to make changes or they were there um, consulting during the production um then we can consult with them on that um but it's about respecting the author's word
1: mm-hmm. well that makes sense you know, it's a, a song. Like I said, when we do cover songs, they're supposed to be recognizable. Uh, I think music sometimes has a little more freedom. But uh, but tell me about the, tell me about the last of the red hot lovers, baby.
0: What well, are you doing in that place?
3: Uh, well, the last of the red hot lovers is typical Neil Simon. Um, he is not a red hot lover at all, and that's pretty quickly seen. I'm not going to get.
1: He's a too- <laughs> <laughs> bald headed nerdy guy. <laughs>
3: Yeah. W- without giving too much away, he owns a fish, a seafood restaurant, and he always smells like fish. And uh, well, that's that could be, You know. That could be, yeah. No, not. But this is a man who is um, middle aged, and he's going through what we typically call a midlife crisis, and has decided that the 23 years he has spent with the same woman every day. Maybe he's missing something and goes about orchestrating meetings with three different women who will show up in three different acts and um, trying to explore the possibility of an extramarital affair. Now, if you know anything about Neil Simon, you know it, things are going to go awry. Uh, well, it, I should hope so.
1: It, What's it the point of, of <laughs> normal? <laughs> I, remember, I remember the it Odd Couple. Not... Wasn't that a, a Neil Simon TV show? with the Odd Couple?
3: Uh, yes, and there's also a female version of that. Or uh, the play was first. The female, the male version, and then the female version, and then there was a, a television show. Yeah, but um, the character is Barney Cashman. He's on stage almost every second of the play, and mm-hmm. we watch. We follow him through these three. Um, Meetings that he sets up Mm -hmm. uh, with these three very different women, and Mm -hmm. just how all of that unfolds, and what he learns at the end of these three meetings.
0: This
1: is like uh, the Christmas story. This is this is Scrooge and his three ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas future, and (laughs) Christmas present. Gee, no parallel there.
3: Uh, No. (laughs) Does he
1: get to open his presents on stage? Sorry, couldn't resist. Uh, we're sort of developing um, a theme it, here, folks, of exposure, but we'll get onto to that later. Um,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, again, we don't pay extra for that. No. But, uh, no well, it,
1: let me – you know, go ahead. No, <laughs> you have know got another I, question. You're
3: say, it's a hilarious thing to me. I actually – I'm directing this play, and uh-huh. I actually laughed out loud when I,
0: when I read it. You chose um, it, right?
3: I, champion, I championed it, if you will. We had, oh, you know, a championed. number of – Oh,
1: Is that what we call it? Okay.
3: Yeah, you have to go in front of the board and say, I'd love to do this play, and here's why. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully it will all work out really well, and we'll sell lots of tickets, and and people will have a lot of laughs, I think.
1: Well, I just find it fascinating, if I can be, you know, further bold here, that uh, we started our conversation with you uh, going to a divorce support group, and now you got to play, The Last of the Red Hot Lovers, uh, about three affairs, or potential ones. I just find this interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I, everybody knows, that, that listens to this. I, I, I wonder if, it, like I say, we're developing a theme here, um, but I find it, uh, well, they say acting brings truth, and I want to talk about that in a minute as well. But, uh, I, okay. I mean, I tried marriage once. I can't recommend it. <laughs> so I might see this play. <laughs> You know, just, uh, just on that basis alone. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, now, how current, how topical is this in our electronic, um, you know, can't offend anybody uh, world? I'm just curious because the things that happen. It, it's like the difference between uh, um, the, 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 the boy bands, the hair bands, you know, the 80s. We're, you know, we're, we're, these are usually heterosexual males, we assume, for the most part. But they're still wearing makeup. They're wearing wigs. And they're wearing spandex. And they look ridiculous. But we all knew it was a joke. Nowadays, yeah. if a band does that, you can't you can't laugh at them because that you might offend them. <laughs> you might offend the people that like them. And I'm thinking, screw you. I think it's if it's funny, it's funny, you know. And so I, I wonder how much perspective we've lost in this 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 day of we can't offend anybody, which of course is a bunch of nonsense. What's the fun of free speech if you can't offend somebody, right? I, mean, I don't I don't, work, you know, I don't stop my show because somebody might be offended. In fact, I, just, I hope we'll get more listeners but uh, how does it compare to the time when Neil Simon wrote this play and what's going on today?
3: This is the best question you've asked so far and probably the most controversial. And and I'm I'm just (laughs) respecting you more and more as I hear you say these things uh, because Uh you're so, you're so on the money. He wrote this in the 1960s when he felt like he could say pretty much anything. Hmm. And, um, yeah. And one second act is a character who um, does say pretty much anything, <laughs> pretty much anything. Mm. So, um, we're, so you would probably love this play is my point. And well, I've already um, decided
1: to go. I just have to figure out what, what, you have to give me the performance days. But uh, yeah,
3: Oh, I will. It, or, I sure will. Or is it all oh. sold out? No, no tickets are on sale already and and being purchased, but uh the show won't actually go up until March seventeen will be the first will be the opening date on it. It will play that weekend and the following weekend and you'll be when you go online to purchase tickets uh you will see um you know each date will be spelled out and how many seats are still available and that sort of thing but okay. there is there there is dialogue here that some people maybe you know they'll will um as my granddaughter would say they will big in their eyes uh you know it may open <laughs> a few eyes and they may say wait did they say that um but he said it in the 60s and you know comedy is comedy um we're never um we're never out to offend anyone but if you create a character like this second act character who's almost a caricature, uh, you you need to expect that they're probably going to say and do things that are outside the norm, but there is no intention to offend. Uh, you know, we hope we never offend anyone. By the way, we do issue um, uh, a rating, a if you will. <laughs> do you give I, a warning? You, I don't like that word, warning. I don't like that. That's well, kind of what scary. do we call it, an advisory? But, but, a but caution we do say we do say this play is intended for mature audiences, and I think that says a lot oh. um this is probably something you don't need to bring your children to Okay, um, but, that's good to
1: know well, again, the title alone yeah. you know, I get to see yeah. a five year old mommy what's a red hot lover <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, uh but um, okay. uh, so we're we're concerned about um playing to our audiences and not offending our audiences. But well, we also hope that people challenge. will you know, take it how it was intended. It's meant yeah. to be funny. But yeah. isn't
1: the whole point of theater where the actors can say things that we want to say but don't <laughs> for obvious reasons?
3: Oh, I I agree. I totally agree. Um, okay. I, I think it's such a creative outlet. In um, so many ways you can – Participate in theater and be creative. Uh, Whatever your talent is, or even if you've never thought you had a particular talent, you could probably find your local community theater and go in there and volunteer and discover that you do have something to contribute
1: Well, let's talk about how much involvement there is for for people. You've got sets, you've got artwork, you've got, um, you know, help in the theater during the performance, you've got, you know, publicist people, you've got folks that can write about it, you've got me, you know, you've got a a talk show. So now that I've I've met you and talked to you, uh, every time you have a production, you have to come on the show and tell us about it. So that that's going to be a given, and Fridays are at least like the week before. So we're just going to start doing that um, during this hour on a regular basis. If it's okay with you, I hope you you know it is. But we should. uh, And it doesn't have to be a whole hour, but at least we should spend at least half an hour every time you have a new theater production. Well, you know it's my community. I'm trying to help, (laughs) so that's all part of it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we would just think that's wonderful if we would be, could be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also sure. want to throw out some of the other ways that people might want to contribute is, um, for instance, this play coming up is set in the 60s. We'll have 60 hairstyles. Um, oh. So we, we sometimes have people, men or women, in who, who take care of wigs or, um, you know, do all that teasing, teasing, teasing hairstyle. Uh, we have people who do special effects makeup. Um, we, now we don't have anyone on staff, as you know, we're volunteers, but uh, we have people who do what they call beauty makeup or style specifically to the sixties. Or if we want to age someone up a little bit, um, they have products that can make that happen, or we want to make someone look a little bit younger so that they match their castmate a little bit better because Mm -hmm. we're going to, we're not always going to cast people that are the exact age dictated in the script. So those are other things, um, costume design or uh, costume care or modifying costumes or mm-hmm. um, just all kinds of ways that uh, you can participate and become a part of a community. Um, it, it really is uh, that it does take on that feeling and you become almost like family and and, again, I want to say you're, you're never more a team than when you're working on a production because if everyone doesn't do their part, it doesn't come together as well as it could.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also remember a, a fair amount of romance that started, you know, during theater productions because you are so close together, just like when I was in a marching band. You know, we travel together. We work together. You know, it's, just, it's, uh, it, it's a great way, you know, socially. You know, if you want to just meet a, a really cool bunch of people. And some of you might yeah. uh, match up, who knows, you know, but, um, it's just uh, theater, it, it's its own little world and, and the performing world, people that aren't in it, you know, it really is an amazing place to express yourself because you can say the things. That's the whole point. Uh, I remember uh, an Ed Asner quote when he was being interviewed One is years ago, I think it was Phil Donahue years and years ago, back in my more liberal days. And, uh, but it, a lot of that stuff was pretty cool. He said, art upsets, science reassures and you look at uh, who we call doctor fascist around here you know science i'm i'm science i'll tell you exactly what it is and then of course you realize that it's not what it is uh, and then uh, but the the whole idea of art of setting and theater is art so it's supposed to upset a little bit. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to reach into your emotions, yank you around a little bit, and, and bring you to a place that you wouldn't get to in uh, you know, the regular routines of life. And so you might miss things that are happening, you know, the undercurrents, the, things that, the doubts, the fears, the, the, the people leaving the lives of quiet desperation. Well, let's get some of that desperation out in the open. Let's see what it looks like. And so art uh, is theater and theater. And I've heard acting described as, as a search for truth. So yes, you're acting. Yes, you're repeating lines. But what are you really doing? And if you're looking at characters, those characters are based on people. And those real people have lives of, of quiet desperations that we may, need to make a little bit louder. And so that's the whole point yeah. of this. So if you bring all this together, you know, there's a lot more to theater than a lot of people give it credit for. Plus, you're seeing a live person. This isn't a screen. This is a little box. This yeah. isn't a little electronic thing. You can reach out and touch these people. but well, you don't. But I'm just saying that they're close enough. You can talk to them after the show sometimes maybe. I don't know. Uh, but we're talking Absolutely. about, you know, your friends, your family, people that uh, it's real as opposed to a video.
3: What do you think? Yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely right on, on all those counts, I believe. And we do make um, a practice of greeting the audience after a performance, and mm. um, we get so much positive feedback. Um, unless you're playing a villainous character, and you might get some negative feedback. Mm. Snadly Whiplash. Thing. Can I be snadly <laughs> Whiplash? You know... I'm sorry?
1: Can I be Snadley Whiplash?
3: <laughs> oh, I know. Or maybe Dudley do right.
1: Now, no, my horse, no. Now, back again.
3: Yeah. Sorry. So, so much opportunity. There. I'm, I'm and, part Robin and, Williams
1: and, as, as well, Rush Limbaugh. So there's a lot of channeling that goes on during this show.
3: Yeah, I, I'm getting that. This is my first time <laughs> talking to you, but I'm getting that. I'm pretty quick maybe myself. Maybe we,
1: when we're heard in Russia, maybe we have a Russian local theater because the Russians have great actors too. So you never know where we're going to go with this. It's a good time. <laughs> Welcome to Action <laughs> Radio.
3: Hmm. But um, Sorry. but, but so, no, no, no. You're, you, you do your thing. Um, but um, I, yes, I, I do. So <laughs> but but uh, you don't need everybody. Do
1: well, here's the thing. I think everybody should take an acting class or be in a theater production just for the fun of it. You know, just get out there and try, try it. You know, especially with public yeah. speaking being such a big fear. You know, you, you know, uh, at least try out. You never know what's going to happen. You might even get the part. You don't. It,
3: you know, just trying uh, the out. First time I did, yeah, the first time I did a character role, I had rehearsed it for weeks, I was mm-hmm. working with other and actors, but it was my first time not trying to sing and dance. And, um, and I was the first person on stage. Now mm. I had already, I had already figured out that if I had one small glass of wine before I tried to make this entrance, that would probably help me, but I still, Mm -hmm. when it came time to walk out there by myself, I I came very close to turning to the actor who was playing my husband and saying, I think you're going to have to push me out there. (laughs) But I worked up the nerve to do it. I went out there and I've been going out there ever since. And every show that I do, it becomes easier and easier to go out there with the character that I've helped create and, um, and not only enjoy what I'm doing, but remember that I'm bringing something to all those people that are watching and maybe in some way enriching their lives, making them think. And it's, it's a wonderful experience. If you will just push past that fear that probably comes to 99% of the people in the world, just push past that for the reward because it is so worth it.
1: So what's that fear come from? What what, what do you think is the basis of it? Where where does it go way back in our reptilian brain? What is it about being in front of other people that you know a lot of cases with the community theater? That's your friends and family out there. They want you to do well. Where where does the fear
3: come from? I'm not certain. I'm not certain why that ranks so high on the list of fears. Uh, I guess tied into that fear of failure thing. You know, I think there's something about the human being that we always want to, uh, to succeed. We don't want to fail. We don't want to be less than we think we can be, or we want others to perceive us to be. And, and I think we have to remember, as you said, they want us to do well. They, they are not looking for us to fail. They're looking for us to entertain them. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't know where all that fear comes from. I. I guess it's one of the things I've never understood, but I. But I did experience it myself, and and I still get those little butterflies when it's time to go out there, and I know I've got a lot of lines to remember, and and I want to interact with my castmates in a way that makes those audience members sit up and and really pay attention to what's going on up there. So I guess it's the importance of it in a way too feeds into the fear.
1: Yeah, I mean, where would it be if you didn't get those little butterflies? If, if you were so jaded and so, you know, bored, what would your character be if you didn't have a little excitement to it? I mean, I still, before the show goes on, you know, when I get that last 30-second warning, <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, here we go again. What am I going to say? <laughs> you know, and I go through this, this, this is kind of weird ritual, and I stand up, sit down, and move a couple of books, and, uh, and then the show comes on, and I'm fine. You know, but I, I and I do this every day. You know, Well, not every day. I mean, it's, it's every weekday. But, you know, you're on the air for three hours, and uh, I still feel just something which I hope I never lose before every show. Oh,
3: yeah. And I'm
1: doing this all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, you, That's a good thing. I think you have to, uh, you know, when I'm in one of my emotional states because I love to talk and I love to express myself and when I'm delivering the some brand, right <laughs> I, I will, I will, I will oftentimes stop and say, okay, this is why I'm a theater person. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, if you're able to access those emotions that are just beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. that is going to help you build an interesting character. But as you say, if, if you're blase about it, you're, you're not, you no longer have those butterflies. You no longer have the energy. Um, the audience is not going to keep coming to see that. They want to mm-hmm. see that. They want to be taken on that roller coaster ride. They want to see it go up and then come down for a little relief and then go up again, even higher, and then come down and be calm and make sense. And, and if you can, Take them on that roller coaster ride with every production that you do. Those people are going to come back.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely, I agree. Uh, do you find that people have had a little more life experience? You don't have to be old to do this, um, but uh, people that have had some life experience, especially like I came from a completely dysfunctional family. Uh, I grew up in three different countries. I've got a lot of life experience, and I had a lot of life experience <laughs> by the time I was by the time I was a teenager. Um, do you find that people that have that kind of involuntary uh, challenge, shall we say, um, they they get into the parts more, and they're maybe more drawn to theater, or maybe want to say more, or discover things in themselves by doing theater.
3: I do. Um, I, I just you can't discount the value of life experiences, and and I'm, I mean the bad ones too. Um, I also came mm-hmm. from a very dysfunctional family. We don't even have time to go there, but no, it's another um, show. We'll do it another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but we'll call it. What's my dysfunction? <laughs> <laughs> but if you have nothing really to draw on um uh-huh. it is much harder now don't get me wrong i've seen very young people deliver powerful performances but uh-huh. yeah you when you look into the face of someone that you feel has lived through true uh-huh. hardship it's much easier to believe the hardship that they're depicting in the character that they're portraying, and, and the same with um, joy or any other emotion. Uh, it's just easier because it's there. They can access it. They can cry on cue. They can laugh on cue. They can. I, I had someone audition the other night who coughed um, because it was in the script, and someone in the audience waiting to audition. She coughs so realistically and so <laughs> deeply, especially the gentleman ha- shouts out, are you okay? <laughs> and That's great. And the other said, I'm acting.
1: <laughs> exactly. Send the script. Ah. You,
3: you, you, you have yeah. to be able to pull from so many different things huh. inside you um, that it makes for a better actor.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, that's why I question. I was just thinking about that. Uh, another thing I was thinking about, since we have what I consider one of the world's great theaters uh, in the country, if not possibly you know the world, for close up, intimate, but still have enough people to make it more interesting, is the Imogene. Can you have you? Uh, can I help you? You know, get your shows there if you if you had a bigger production, or have you talked to them about that? Or okay, that,
0: here's where
3: I'm so, so we can't
1: talk about. You, you, if this is a question you go can't go talk ahead. about, let me know. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: No, no 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 no, it's just too involved. It's um there's too there's too much that would go into the answer and it really um would take a lot of time to explain um okay. the logistics there, you know, moving sets, the rent that's required to use that venue, uh um, the backstage space, which is it's a beautiful place and this group um, is an offshoot of the group that originally uh, was born there. It started there.
0: Um, okay. But
3: over time, you know, there, this evolution and, uh, you know, gone through many changes. But um, uh, that is, there are a lot of restrictions to working in there because they're working very hard to maintain that space because it is an historical building. And um, so it's not always practical for us to work in a space like that.
1: Okay, makes sense. I was just curious because it seemed like a natural. Uh, for those who don't know, for our newer listeners, the Imogene was built in 1912. Yes, that's the same year as the Titanic. Uh, it's this big cube building, and it's, got, it's haunted, too. I've been there at 2 in the morning, ghost chasing. That's really exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. Anyway, I got some wind out there. I don't know if I hear a wind noise over my microphone. Um, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's what we call intimate theater, as they say. In other words, you're really close up. So the floor you sit on and a couple of balconies. And I remember uh, when B.J. Thomas came by, you know, raindrops keep falling on my head, that guy. And so in fact, yeah. we just lost Bert Bacharach speaking of music people. Anyway, so B.J. Thomas was performing at the Image. This is back when they had different management, and it was just fabulous.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and people were mm-hmm. just calling out questions to him between songs, and he talked to them. Well, where, where do you get a chance to do that?
3: Yeah.
0: yeah, it
3: is great. Well, you really do need to come to our current location because um, this is so intimate and it's so up close and personal. Uh, it is my favorite way to do theater. I have done theater in and bigger venues, and and by far, I uh, I, I prefer this.
1: Do you have any, ever have interactive plays where the audience can participate and shout things out or suggest things? Or I think something like murder mystery theaters where they will uh, the audience gets to suggest the ending. I haven't been to one yet, but I want to try that.
3: Okay, I, I have been to those in the past. We don't typically produce those. Okay. Um, I'm not saying that we would never, but it's mm-hmm. not something that's you know even in this upcoming season we don't have anything like that you know on the books. Um, they are fun and interesting and um, I highly recommend them, um, and I'm not sure all the reasons why we don't uh, indulge in that sort of thing or, you know, produce that sort of thing. But um, we we do uh, typically go for full length productions. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I say, we focus, focus mostly on comedies, but uh, we also like the serious dramas too. Uh, last year we did Agnes of God. It was uh, it was fabulous to see how people came out for it, despite the hmm. fact that it's a, one of the most intense dramas you will see. Uh, so we have uh, put our focus more on full-length plays.
1: Yeah, I was wondering though. I don't know if there are any plays that are written to be audience participatory. Uh, we used to have something in San Francisco called Beach Blanket Babylon, and the audience literally picked the ending. <laughs> and these, these actors would do this for years. You know, they'd uh, and they yeah. they'd change cast members periodically, but this went on for like twenty or thirty years. And it was in the same place, yeah. and it was like a, a you, know, you know about Beach Blanket Babylon? Yeah, it was a San Francisco tradition. Um, and I'm not sure how that. I actually, unfortunately, didn't go. It's one of the dumber things. I, I you know, I, I more regret what I don't do than I do. But I, I never made it to Beach Blanket Babylon. And also one day they, they said they were canceling. I was like, oh no! Of course, all the tickets were sold out forever because people will go over and over and over again. Um, but that kind of are, are there productions like that, or are most of them, they're pretty much you know standard written scripts that you just go by, I guess.
3: Our focus on more what you would consider the standard script. Um, okay. I'm sure there are others out there that offer that. Mm-hmm. And we have in the past had acting troops that have um, produced those kinds of things. And they're often coupled with a dinner, you know, a little dinner theater type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. We currently don't have the space for um, dinner theaters. Uh, you know, that's something down the road for us. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, they are interesting and entertaining, and
0: uh, I highly huh. recommend
3: them. If you have a chance to go, even if you have to travel a little bit to see theater productions, um, it's just it's a group thing, you know. You go out with your girls or guys or mixed or whatever, and and uh, just have a day out, get lunch, see a matinee or whatever. It, it, you can just plan your whole day around the production.
1: Yeah. Do you offer classes at all?
0: Action classes?
3: Um, Yes. um, Not not ongoing, but we will do um, events. Uh, We've managed to do those every year. Um, Most of our time in the space is taken up with rehearsing and performing the full-length plays that we do. But I think I mentioned earlier there Mm -hmm. is um, a spring break camp for children ages 8 to 12. Yeah, yeah and that will be that will be where we have um a very talented young woman who um has been not only acting and directing but teaching and writing for the stage for a number of years so she will be teaching that class to eight to twelve year olds and um it, it, i'm sure she starts with the basics you know uh what what is Stage right, stage left, center stage—you know—and then progresses like that because this particular camp runs for the entire week of Spring Break, and so mm-hmm. uh, children will be able to um, get the opportunity to see if it's not—I'm the most kid in the world. It's do I want to explore this as a possible hobby or uh, or, or you know possible profession in the future? But um, it gives these children an opportunity to come in and learn the basics and then participate in something that they will do for their friends and family. Um, Also, when we do the children's show, which we do once a year, um, Mm -hmm. uh, we will have as many as 15 children come in and be a part of a cast, and they will learn during that production, during the rehearsals, they will also be taught basics of theater, and then that um, that production will uh, culminate in performances for, well, anyone who wants to purchase a ticket. But we mm-hmm. certainly see the family friends come in and see what these kids have learned and, and how they're doing. They, they get into costumes, remember their lines, um, you know, just like a, a, an adult production. So there, there is um, a good amount of teaching that goes on there. Also, we from time to time offer um, special classes, we don't have anything on the books for this season uh, in the way of uh, workshops for adults yet, but um, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to um, periodically throw in uh, something like um, aud- how to audition for a play. You know, where mm-hmm. do you start? What do you do at the very beginning when you think you want to uh, try and get a role and how that should look and, and help people become more comfortable with theater?
1: You know, one of the things I did um, say about my, my voiceover uh, before pre-radio days, um, but uh, improv classes that uh, there's a friend of mine does it in Pensacola, but it'd be nice to have some here. Uh, an improv class is a fabulous way to sort of introduce acting, uh, just introduce for confidence, and have really great lines you can come up with fast in appropriate or inappropriate, you know, social situations. <laughs> do you do improv?
3: Well, that's funny you should mention that because at our very recent board meeting, uh-huh. Um, we discussed the possibility of this young woman who teaches, who's going to be teaching the spring break camp, uh, mentioned the possibility of doing an improv class, not just where, um, people come in and watch improv, although people can oh, do no. that as well.
1: No, no, but no, actually, you got to do it.
3: <laughs> but actually, um. Come in and learn uh, a little bit about how improv works and get up there and try out some things, and it's a great deal of fun. I have participated in some improv, and um, it's just – you never know what's going to come out of each other's mouths. It's just hilarious.
1: Well, that's the fun of it. And the weird thing is I wasn't that good at it. Um, strangely, you know, this may sound unusual. I mean, but I, I can improv here. Maybe it's because this is an environment I'm more used to, you know, the, the whole microphone, the, just the idea of doing radio, but, uh, working with another person with the acting skills, it took me a bit to do that. So where I learned this there was a place, I think it's called voice one. It's back in San Francisco and where I'm debating, do I want to go to voiceover? Do I want to be a talk radio host? Do I want to, you know, can I do both? You know, what's, what's the deal. And apparently it's a lot tougher than it used to be to do voiceovers, but part of the training involved acting. And I thought, why do you need to act to be able to do, you know, voices and commercials and read books? And it's like, oh, you don't know, do you? I said, no, I don't. And, you know, and, and there's always more to everything than you expect. That's what makes it fun to go into. But they had a whole acting department stuff, and we had classes in this. And uh, if you're going to be good at, you know, selling a product or, or doing a voiceover or convincing or reading an audio book, you know, you better be able, to, there's a certain amount of theater involved in that. And so it was very interesting to take the improv classes, which I got better. It was a skill. I actually dragged my kid oh. down to one. She was fabulous at it. So I don't know if younger people are, are freer to do that. But uh, it was, it's, a, it's a skill unto itself. And you think you can, but then you get there, and all of a sudden these lines are being thrown at you, and you have to come back with something. And, of course, you can't say no. <laughs> you know, It's like, yes, and. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the secret of improv. Yeah. So, yes, you're right, and the, this from there. And that was the hardest part you because know, it's easy to say, no, that's not true. But you can't say that in improv. So that's that's the, the so that for everybody who's listening, that's the first rule of improv. You got to go with it. You, there is no choice. You know, your mission should decide to accept that. Mister Phelps is to improvise the way we tell yep. you To improvise, the safe will self-destruct <laughs> in five seconds. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. but that's stuff I can yeah, do. It's, but it's with yeah. working with another person, it's
3: completely different. Yeah, it, it is always super important though, no matter which of those things you're doing on stage. Uh, in my mind, one of the single most important things is listening. Um, m- when you're in- doing improv, make sure you listen to everything that was said before it gets back to you. When you're working on stage with a big cast or just you and one other person, uh, make sure you listen because for those times when you drop that line and you just, it just doesn't come to you, if you are listening to what your castmate said, you're going to know how to respond, even if you can't remember the line as it was written. And those things make us um, make our brains stay alert while we're up there. And you know, your brain is awake and working, and you can pick something up and go with it. And if you're if you're not if you're not listening, you don't know really what's going on around you. Um, it makes it much harder to be believable. To mm-hmm. come up with lines that you lost, etc. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Another show sure here. I'm just looking at your Facebook page. Um, the the Maytag Virgin. What was that one?
3: Oh gosh, that was so good. It was a two person play. Hmm. Um. It is written by um, a woman in Alabama, I believe. I'd never read any of her plays before. We never produced any of her plays before. This was probably one of the most compelling plays I have ever seen because huh. I've, I've never, I don't know that I've ever read dialogue that just was so real for me. This wasn't in any way caricatured. It wasn't in any way stilted. It wasn't, it, it, nothing made up. You just got the feeling that as she was writing, she was totally pulling from people that she knew. And she was creating these characters that were not afraid to be real, to be themselves, to say that stupid thing you wish you hadn't said. (laughs) And then we had, we happened to have two actors in Amber and Jeremy, um, Uh who, you know, they're in, in large part responsible for that, um, for that show basically selling out. And we had a director on board and Mary Jane Dunlop who, um, who just brought it home? I mean, they were so proud of that end product. We all were, and um, it just got so many kudos.
1: What's it about? Can you give me like a, a, a yeah. basic sketch?
3: <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, I kind of left that out, didn't I? No,
0: it's okay.
3: This is. I got your back. Um, this is. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. This is um, two teachers who end up living um, in the same neighborhood. Their porches their backyards back up to each other and uh-huh. they think, uh, you know, the young woman starts to relate a uh, talk with the man who moves in and is just genuinely wanting to learn about him and who he is and why he's there and why he's doing the things he's doing, like having a Maytag dryer out on his porch forever, which she just absolutely hates, doesn't even use dryers. And then he in turn, of course, um, Wants to learn more about her. What makes her tick? Who is she? And uh, and as bad luck would have it, they have both suffered the loss of a spouse. Now, there's a lot of humor in this play, but there's so much poignancy as well as we see them come together, acknowledge their grief, acknowledge um, their part in the marriage that maybe didn't go like they wanted it to go. So a lot. There's of- that
1: theme again. <laughs>
3: yeah sorry but so a, a lot of similarities bring them yeah. together and it yeah. has that happy ending that that people want you know okay, but good. just just a, a really cool play too
1: yeah yeah everybody's looking you know for for romance and it, obviously as you get to you know a neighbor men and woman you know you you kind of expect and then are surprised and it's just, it's a, <laughs> part of the play of any play i guess is expectation um the question i have for you though was was current playwrights are there some decent playwrights, local playwrights? I know the South and uh, my, my theory, you know, you look at any nation and it's, it's kind of funny that the northern parts where it's colder and, and more boring are usually more industrial. And the southern parts of a country uh, are usually where the writers, the artists, you know, the the, the creative <laughs> folks, the musicians all come from. You know, you look at uh, look at Europe. You know, you're going to find all your industrialists in northern Germany and France and stuff like that. And all all the writers and artists, they're back in Italy and the south coast of France and
0: Greece and all these
1: other different places. Uh, But I don't know what we're going to do with England. Uh, You know, just don't go for the the cooking. But anyway, uh, you know, the United States. Yeah, but look at the United States. You know, where are the industrial centers? The north. You know, where are all the writers and uh, dreamers and crazy people and uh, artists and great chefs? They're all in the south, if I can generalize. Yeah. I just find that interesting.
3: No, no. No, I have often asked myself, why is that part of the country inhabited? You know, why would you want to be up there and be cold all the time? If yeah. you're shoveling snow and scraping windshields, and you're mm-hmm. always cold. At least mm. that's how I've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, why did that ever get populated? Why isn't everybody down here? I guess it's good they're not. But
1: yeah, especially if, they, if they're if they're you know Marxists. You know, with some of these crazy states up north. Um, but uh, I find it interesting, and I, I thought about this for a while. You look at most countries, or, or like Europe and different places, the warmer climates breed more artists, more creative, more, more musical, more writers, uh, uh, folks like that. It's just, it just seems to work that way. Now, granted, yeah, Henry David okay. Thoreau was up in Walden Pond, and I actually swam there as a kid. So I'm, I'm not totally generalizing here, but it seems there's a trend. That, yeah. uh you know, those all those worrying about climate change. No, climate change is a good thing. We'll have more artists, writers, musicians, and you have more entertainment. You know, and less people telling you what to do all day, like the the industrial places. Yeah. Um so this is a good yeah. thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because probably those people in those industrial areas work so hard and so long, you know, they mm-hmm. don't have the energy to write and cook and do those things. I'm generalizing now, but isn't it know, fun? Make... Well, well yeah, I should so write a I, I
1: should write a play. <laughs> No, I need, I need to write a play, you know, Climate Change Blues or <laughs> something like that. You
3: should do it, should okay, do it and then submit it to us and see if we want to produce it.
1: Okay. I've never written a play, but uh, it would be an interesting challenge. I thought of it, you know, or screenplays or things like that. Um, but, again, do you have local playwrights? Uh, and then if you have anything else, we can we run did. a couple minutes over time if we can, but uh, do you have local folks that are writing for your theater or do you, do you look for, for current uh, playwrights that are that are writing current stuff Is, does that make a difference
3: yes yeah. yeah. we uh this season we don't have any um local playwrights on the schedule but mm-hmm. um, every year prior for all of the last 20 years we have produced plays including one act and full-length plays that mm-hmm. were written by local authors or uh Authors near here, when I say local, I mean Pace, Milton, Pensacola, you know, all this area, but Mm -hmm. authors who are just outside this area who might submit their manuscripts and say, hey, I've written this play. Would you take a look at it? And we are open to play submissions. We, you know, we want the community to say, hey, have you thought about doing this play? Hey, Mm -hmm. I wrote this play. And a number of us that are um, uh, participating with the theater right now have written plays that have been produced. Um here and in Pensacola. Uh, so and there's a lot of talent here. And when you start writing a play, you realize how um, how interesting it can be to really stretch your brain and and uh-huh. try and figure out for every character that you've created how you flesh that out on the page. It's totally different than what the actor is going to do with it. That's a different kind of fleshing out, of course. But um and it's an interesting process. And yes, we we do have people who write locally, and I encourage it as a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking of writing a play, calling it "Political Incorrectness," <laughs> just that's what we do here all the time. Uh, so you yeah. never know. Oh, well now, I, I, I,
2: I, go ahead. <laughs> What's that?
3: No, I see, I'm a theater person, and theater people are typically not. You know, we don't get too much into politics. Uh, but if you wrote a political play, I'm sure there's plenty of audiences out there that would come to see it.
1: Oh, it would be sarcastic. It would be just like my show. Well, let me play you something here. I, I have a series of things that, uh, that I did, my little satire skits that I made. That um, Let me show you a little more of my creative side. Here. My favorite one is The New Normal Church and Grocery Store. So there was a time uh, during the lockdowns, uh, which I objected to vehemently. Uh, and so I, you know, But I think you can mix politics and comedy and have it be really funny. So I wrote a bunch of different pieces. This is, this is my favorite one. I play it every once in a while. So uh, I'll just play it, see what you, This is what I do when I, when I get crazy and get creative. So let's push the button, and here we go. Uh. Hello, America. Looks like millions of you are in states where the governor dictator has said that food is essential, but God is not. Fortunately, we have a solution for you. We've combined your essential food shopping with a non-essential religious experience. Being in the same building and being completely intertwined, you can't do one without the other. Welcome to the New Normal Church and Grocery Store. Yes, the New Normal Church and Grocery Store is the first business of its kind to bring God conveniently into your food shopping aisle. Think of this as food for your body and food for your soul. No social distance or group size restrictions here. Upon entering the New Normal Church and Grocery Store, you will pick up your shopping cart. You can then choose from an optional mask with a Star of David, a cross, a crescent moon, a sun for you Shintos, a statue of Buddha, and for you agnostics, a question mark. Headsets are available to play sermons throughout your shopping experience. Some of the favorites include, I'm going to heaven and you're not, die infidel die, "Oi, what not to say during the brisk," and that butterfly may be your grandfather. To orient you to the store, the Kosher Jewish Deli is by the Western Wall. A simple shalom gets you service, but be prepared to haggle. For you Muslims, out of courtesy, we put the halal butcher by the eastern wall. Sharia store policies require the wearing of both a burqa and a mask, just to be safe. Protestants will find the Wonder Bread, hot dogs, and steak in the central aisles, where all the best-dressed customers can also be found. When you notice the smell of incense, you are nearing the Buddhist section, which is all vegetarian. For Catholics, communion is available in the bakery department by the wafers, near the red wine section. Agnostics should go directly to customer service, because you folks have no idea what you want anyway. Be sure to offer your confessional to the checker on the way out if you so choose. Please don't forget to first pull down the blind on the plexiglass screen. And if you're required ministering, you can talk to your bagger as they push your groceries to your car, because all our baggers are cross-trained in theology. The new normal church and grocery store, your combination alternatives to the separation of church by the state. So there you go that's that's uh my my political satire comedy you know piece you, one, I, one 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 of several hmm
3: you wrote that yeah wrote okay. performed, selected the music
1: it. you know did the the audio i have a, a adobe audition software program made the whole thing yep that's me
3: <laughs> you, should write you definitely should, do that think so okay i i totally, i think so um yeah I, you know, I don't listen to talk radio. I never listen to talk radio. I, I didn't know you existed, but I'm going to be listening to your show from now on.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, we've got about four years worth of podcast to catch up on, so take your time.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we do some okay.
3: pretty crazy things
1: here, but yeah, yeah. It's a this is there is no show that, that does what we do. So just to just to tell you a little bit, uh, we're the only show in the world with a citizen legislature. So our serious side is we actually write bills and submit them directly to. You know, members of Congress and uh, you know, state legislatures, uh, legislators, and uh, local governments, and things like that. So I can tell you more about our serious side another time. I want to do a video with you guys. So I want to come to the the, uh, the theater when it's convenient and do one of my my famous uh, you know action radio videos. But um, that's that's how that goes. But yeah, you know, and so I've, I've got this. You know, I do. I've never thought of seriously writing a screenplay. I'm not quite sure. I'd probably get some guidelines. But yeah, but the, I produce a lot of these things. I mean, everything I do, I produce commercials, I produce the, the, sound, the sound things. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of different ones uh, that we have. that are extreme political, extremely politically incorrect. Um, I was seeing a blazing saddles when we were talking, speaking of things that you can't, you know, do anymore. You never see blazing saddles on, on TV anymore in its original state because every other word is the N-word. But at the time, it was hysterical, yeah. and we could poke fun at that. Yeah. You know, I can't even say it on yeah. the radio now. You know, I'm not going to lose my show over saying one word. But the point is, that's no. where we are now.
3: Go ahead. No, no. Um, still thinking about you writing a mm-hmm. um, the One piece of advice I would give you, if that's all I could give you, is pick up a script, um, um, mm-hmm. a, a script from a play that we're doing or any other theater is doing. Uh, okay. Neil Simon, Tennessee whoever. Look at the script, how it's formatted. That's mm-hmm. probably an actor's copy. Okay, you can you can do it that way, and and look at the, the amount of stage direction. Look at um, how things are uh, capitalized here and worded here and italicized here. And when it says curtain or lights down or lights up, and it gives you sound cues. And if you're serious about writing a play, just start with a script and see what it looks like, and try to. Make yours formatted similarly and go from there and bring it to us and let us see if we want to do it for you.
1: That'd be really interesting. I'll, I'll give it some serious thought because I do a lot of production. <laughs> I, I love my little sarcastic you know, pieces that we make here uh, on the show. Um, and it's just because, uh, you know, there there are very few places where you can be incredibly and totally creative. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to do at work. You know, it's hard to do it at home a lot of times, but, the, but to be able, this is why this is such a great opportunity for me to be able to do the show. And I can bring anything in it. You know, I bring music, I bring comedy, I bring uh, guests. Uh, we, we take serious issues with legislation. We came up with a couple of bill ideas this morning, a little bit earlier that I think were fascinating. Uh, so that's kind of the stuff we do here. I'm going to play you one more. i <laughs> show you how politically irreverent we get. Um, one of the regular callers to the show, Pianchi, uh, called in, and uh, he, he's fascinating. He was talking about, Pianchi's black. And Pianki was talking about the governor of Virginia who goes in blackface. And he said, why are these white guys going in blackface? We talk about race in a very open way here uh, on the show. And so he says, hey, look at me. And he says, when I, I have to go to the mirror and I have to put on that white shaving cream in the morning, I have to go in whiteface. Now, I'm dying laughing at this, right? I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm, I can't even you know, contain myself. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever, I've ever heard. So I thought, okay, I've got to do something with this. He is actually the inspiration. For some of the things we do here, so let me play you uh, Pianki's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, a commercial for the first black shaving cream. This is how this is how okay. bad I get. All right, hold on.
0: Okay.
1: <clears throat> it's morning, and you are a proud black man. You go to the mirror. You are reminded of Governor Northrop of Virginia and Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada, both of whom appeared in blackface. And there you are, you've just put on your shaving cream. And what do you see? White face. It's bad enough that leftist aspiring dictators are choosing to go in blackface. But you, proud black man, have no choice but to appear in white face every morning you shave. Now, direct from Pianchi Laboratories comes a great new product made especially for you, proud black man. Pianchi's picture-perfect face-saving shaving cream. Yes, Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream will give you your black face back during your morning shave. For Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream, it's the first ever black shaving cream. Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream comes in three shades, dark, darker, and darkest. So now, proud black man, you have a choice. You can stay in white face every morning, or you can join black men everywhere and choose Pianchi's Picture Perfect Face Saving Shaving Cream every morning. Yeah, I really don't have a filter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to say that.
1: Uh, go <laughs> oh, you you figured that out on your own. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So this is what we do. I wanna do more of these, but I was I was inspired because it was during the lockdown. I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't do anything. And I don't get mad, I get creative. <laughs> so this, so I just started oh, just cranking these wonderful. things out. I made like six of them. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's wonderful. And I think we wanna hold you to your offer too do a show before each production because I think that would be wonderful for us. Well, I
1: definitely want to make a video. Uh, that's what you meant. You cut off for just a second. Are you talking about doing a video at the theater and, and you guys? Yeah.
3: Well, you, you had mentioned earlier that someone from our theater should come on before every production. And, oh, absolutely. And no, the... I'm
1: serious about that. Yes. Oh,
3: for, In fact, yeah. you can bring, I'm, on,
1: I'm
0: you about...
1: bring on the actors. Bring on the main actors. They can come talk about their roles and things like that. Absolutely. You know, it, 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 we're pretty yeah. open here, you know. I'm the boss. I can do whatever I want, which again, as you know, there's not much that limits me. (laughs) So let's have fun with this. Let's bring more theater to to the show and uh, maybe we'll inspire people in their community. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: Oh yeah. I just, we appreciate your support. This is great to be able to do this. Hmm. Um, And I feel still saying this, but we've been talking for over an hour. So I'm, I'm figuring I should let you go onto something else. and, and, no, we're done. Um, it's the end of the show.
1: I'm just, I'm, I'm on overtime. I'm just having fun talking to you, so I don't care. This is great.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You know, I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to play those things, but I, you know, but uh, it just seemed, it seemed like the thing to do. So that's what we do here. But I'll tell let's, 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 end for now. I'll get you back here soon. Um, but uh, anything okay. we forgot to cover, tell me now. Uh, all your contact information, theater dates, anything you want to, uh, to, to share at this particular point, and your podcast will be available probably about ten minutes after we're done. So you can you can okay. share it. Um, I'll, I'll send a link um, to you to your Facebook messenger. We're not quite friends yet, but we will be by the end of the show. I have a feeling. <laughs> so Facebook am
3: okay.
0: so, scared. I'm
3: scared to hear this because this, this was a, a lot of talking. I hope I didn't say anything that sounded too dumb. But it's no, um, to great. Don't
0: I, worry about just
3: it. To re- just to re- um, too
1: late um, now anyway. I, it's, not, it's, not, it's recorded. <laughs> You're stuck. You know, it's there.
3: Right. I, I, um, I We are very, very thankful to Impact 100. Uh, We received the Impact Grant this year, and it's going to mean that we get new lights, new sound, our first-ever main drape, a new stage, and we'll be able to bring better and bigger performances to our audiences. Our phone number, in case you don't get online and purchase tickets, is 850-221-7599. And we have coming up, after Last of the Red Hot Lovers, a wonderful play called "Over the River and Through the Woods" and a play called "I Hate Hamlet." And we <laughs> hope that, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll it, last it, poor York, Trump, he sucks. He,
1: he thinks i was but, um, too much. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it's really an actor who is being forced to play Hamlet, and the ghost of a past Hamlet playing actor comes back, comes in to haunt him and and kind of set him straight because. This actor just does not want to play Hamlet, but uh, well, we have a lot of stuff in store for the season, and hope hope we get a lot of people come out and see it. And thank you again, ever so much for having us on.
1: Oh, it's been fun. I want this again. So let's get uh, the address, phone number, website, uh, Facebook page, all that stuff one more time, so people have yeah, it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we're live yeah. now, of course, but uh, on our we'll get that get that yeah. on. Yep, go ahead.
3: Yeah, on our Facebook page, you'll find on the stage tickets as a link to purchase tickets for events and productions. And uh, again, our location is five four one zero Dogwood Drive in Milton, and our phone number eight five zero two two one seven five nine nine.
1: Mhm. And you're Gail Ready. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Okay, good. Well, it looks like it sounds, so that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's been fun. Thank you. Um, and uh, thank oh, you. oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, yeah. So I can't wait our, for our, it. Oh well, yeah. Just uh, you know, like I say, uh, the the link. Well, you can always find the link at com slash citizen action. I think I left that on your Facebook Messenger, but that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna post it after the show anyway. So I will just do my closing. So thank you, Gail. Uh, for anybody that's listening, we're at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative site where we do our serious legislative work is writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My new article is coming out on Substack, and I have a huge five-part series on a completely new model of education. Trust me, this is like nothing you've ever read. And that's at gregpenglis.substack.com And, of course, if you want to contribute to us, we have give, send, go.com. Action Radio. Play a couple things now, a couple commercials, and I will do this all again Monday morning, where we're going to investigate all the things that are happening with the Nord Stream uh, two pipeline and the fact that uh, Seymour Hearst says Brandon did it, and that's going to be fun to figure out. All right, talk to you all Monday. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow, and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. laws, So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at strikeforceenergy.com. That's strikeforceenergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio.